Test, test, say duh. Good luck. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a great adventure took place. I'm going to regret this. Star Wars Celebration number six. Don't be alarmed. It's only a laser sword fight. Star Tours announces the boarding of the Endor Express, non-stop star speeder service to the moon of Endor. All passengers, please prepare for immediate boarding. Cannot get your ship out. <laughs> Lando Calrissian is a positive role model in the realm of science fiction fantasy. Fuck Lando Calrissian. And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. You will know it is time to turn the page when you hear R2-D2 beat like this. Let's begin now. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks. I'm Chris Honeywell and I'm here with Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? And I think this is the first time we've actually been on Skype since Star Wars Celebration, isn't it? (laughs) It is actually, I think it is. I mean, we've been emailing (laughs) back and forth and stuff, so it's been like a couple weeks to let this all gel. Well, and, we've we've both been on death's door since since uh, celebration ended. Well, so. maybe I don't know about. Well, maybe you know, maybe you. I wasn't on. I I had a I had a nice healthy cold, but it. it oh, okay. It, well, it, I was on death's door. It then. wasn't too horrible. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I'm not I, gonna uh, I just too much. got my voice back a couple of days ago. So my, as much as it's come back anyway, I still don't feel a hundred percent, but. Getting there. Getting Mine there. was gone like directly after the show, but it's come back pretty, pretty okay since then. <laughs> but um, so uh, this this episode, we're gonna um, we're gonna listen to the panel that we did there, which is gonna be a little weird because the panel had a whole visual aspect to it. But I think it'll uh, it'll play as an audio aspect and uh it, it would play great as a video aspect if one of us would get off his ass and get it done dude but, it's gonna uh, take yeah. it's yeah yeah yeah, Mike, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm so scared i'm so scared just get it done i'm so right. scared my computer's gonna burst into flames when i dump like 50 gigs worth of raw video onto it just do it already anyway um <laughs> <laughs> Without further ado, we'll we'll play the panel and then through the magic of editing, we'll be uh we'll pop right in back at the end. Show of hands, who here has not a clue who we are? 
Oh, come on, you can be honest. Sorry. Right. 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 Cool. We know you or you don't. Yeah. You know, people who don't have not a clue. We're like you. Who are these guys? So be honest. Any any of us. Describing something from the audience. All right. Hi, my name is Scott Gardner. I am uh, the better looking half of the Two True Freaks podcast. Joining me is my best friend of over 30 years. We met in the fourth grade over our mutual love of Star Wars, which is I think the only thing we share in common at all. Chris Honeywell. I'm the hideous and ugly uh, Two True Freaks. <laughs> the twisted and bitter one. Hey, hello. Hi, how's it going? Now you've got to introduce yourself, because I, I don't know I don't know who you are. Hi, I'm uh, Jennifer Heddle. I'm a senior editor at Lucasfilm. I'm Lucasfilm's in-house editor for all of the uh, Del Rey novels and Dark Horse, the adult Dark Horse comics. But I'm here strictly as uh, someone who just really loved the Marvel comics. <laughs> Marvel Star Wars because we love Marvel Star Wars. Now show of hands, who has read it, who dug it as a kid, who, who appreciates it? Alright. Who has heard nothing but like crap about it? It's garbage, it's no good, it's goofy, it's silly, it's not worth reading. <laughs> no, that's okay. Dark Horse actually owns the license to it at the moment. And while they are lovingly reprinting it and making it beautiful and pretty for the, for the modern way that comics are produced, at the same time, their back cover copy a lot of times is misleading. It makes it sound like, here's the goofy old Star Wars. We, we both want to, with this panel, point out the goofy old Star Wars, because some of it is goofy. Darth Vader's green. But, also, this was Star Wars. Between Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, between The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, this was Star Wars. Star Wars did not exist on videotape. Star Wars did not exist on DVD. If you wanted to relive Star Wars as a kid, you were very limited in your options on how you could relive the Star Wars trilogy, or at that time, Star Wars between the movies. So you had Marvel Star Wars, you had you know, the story of Star Wars, you had a couple of records, you know, story, that sort of thing. But that was pretty much it. But to really relive the movie, you either had to wait for it to come back to the drive-in every summer, or you dug out your Marvel Comics Star Wars in a number of different reprinted formats, and that's how you got your, your fix for Star Wars. So that's kind of what we want to go over, is kind of the, the history of how the whole thing got going, and then just highlights, low points, that sort of thing. Anything to add, guys? Oh, this stuff, it's... Uh 
there's not enough appreciation for it because not only were they doing original Star Wars stories, but they were doing it when the Star Wars universe was still being shaped. Like people look at these old stories, you know, right after um, Star Wars before the A New Hope subtitle was even on there, and they look at it now like, wow, that's ridiculous. Why is you know some of this stuff in there? But there's a lot of hindsight that we have now about the Star Wars universe. They just had one movie to go by to like guess how this universe worked, to guess, you know, like what a Jedi does. Like I even remember him. There's that one point where like Luke is using his anger as a tool in one of the early Carmen and Fantino Archie Goodwin stories. And this is before Empire Strikes Back, where anger the dark side are they. And it's fun stuff. And uh, one thing is you know, you see these medical droids and stuff, you know, treating people in all the other Star Wars movies. There was no medical droids in the first Star Wars movie, so there's a story, you know, Luke is being treated, and it's by a nurse, and I call her Star Wars Red Cross Nurse. Is, is she on the screen right now? It's, look at that, so she's wearing, if someone comes to the next celebration cosplaying as her, I will buy you dinner. It's Star Wars Red Cross, she's got the Red Cross symbol, the red, so I guess the Red Cross exists in the Star Wars galaxy, but, it means the same thing, of course. Yeah, it means, it means the same thing. The same uniform. And again, after Empire Strikes Back, you didn't see that, because whenever someone was being treated in Star Wars, you had, you know, those, uh, uh, what are those droids called? And I'm not sure what Anyone? Anyone? Just medical droids? I thought they had a designation number, but yeah, or, or the doulas from uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, and yeah, it's, it's, it's really easy for Dark Horse to talk smack because like a lot of the people writing and drawing have had a whole generation, their whole life to absorb the history of Star Wars and here, you know, they were handing this off to, you know, Archie Goodwin and Carmine Infantino and said, here, go for it. A lot of times they didn't even have a picture to go, go buy or, or anything like or the millions and millions of toys hadn't come out yet, especially in the very beginning of this uh, Run. So they yeah. had to wing it. That was always one of the most fascinating things to me is, is the movie adaptations because the movie adaptations they had a lot of material to work with as far as stills, they knew what the actors looked like, things like that. They may have even known what the models were going to look like. But the great thing about especially the original adaptation of the very first movie, which was done over six issues of, of Marvel, was how you would get to a special effects sequence of the movie, and it looked pretty completely different from the finished film because they really had no idea. They knew what the Millennium Falcon looked like, but what does it look like when it goes into hyperspace? They knew the Death Star blew up. What does it look like when it blows up? So those are the, the portions of those adaptations that I enjoy the most because it's almost like seeing a parallel universe of Star Wars. And there are a lot of them. Do you have images of any of that stuff? Or? No? <laughs> I'm sorry. You don't have to ask me if I have to. That's okay. Um, do we want to do it in your origin stories? How do we get into the Marvel Comics stuff? I mean, for us, for Chris and I, we were, we were just kids. When Star Wars came out, we were nine years old, and we just discovered Star Wars at the movie theaters, and then just absorbed everything that came out that had the label of Star Wars on it. So the comics were just a natural progression of that. But this was my gateway drug into comic books. I actually have a, a room in my house filled with comic books, thanks to George Lucas. Thanks, George. Appreciate that. My wife does, too. Um, yeah, that's pretty much, pretty much me. I, I just remember going, and, and you remember the cigar store in, in Watertown, yeah. New York? 
and it was after a, a screening of Star Wars with my parents, and there were the first three issues in a plastic bag, and I about flipped my lid. I had to have it, had to have it, had to have it, so. And then it took me probably three months to get the last three, which drove me nuts. And once I had them, I, you know, I wore them out. Marvel did, and I looked at the one that they had for episode four, 
and uh, it was a very, very hard um, sell for me because, I, again, I had hindsight of these movies, but Howard Chaikin and uh, Roy Thomas, they didn't have the hindsight, so it was rough for me, but they just always had this reputation. So I read the Dark Horse comics and the Bantam books, and the me, that was the real Star Wars. And then when I looked at stuff like the essential guides to the characters, they had uh, Lumaya in there, aka Shira Bree. And I'm like, what's she doing in here? She's a Marvel character. But then um, as I got older, and some of this stuff started becoming a little more mainstream in the Star Wars fandom, I wanted to check it out. So. I got a bunch of the reprints, and man, they are available everywhere. Um, in fact, I remember what really got me wanting to check them out again was in 2006 or seven. it was, um, Lucasfilm did the DVDs, and it was two packs, where like you had the um, special edition 2004 movie, and then the second disc would be um, the original theatrical cut, although some technical person out there will tell me actually it's not the real original, but at Walmart they had those released, and for like Empire Strikes Back, you got a big Empire Strikes Back Marvel Star Wars comic book. Same with Return of the Jedi and Star Wars, and and I ate that up, and I was like, I really need to check out the rest of the series, and that's what I've been doing with stuff like the podcast and with listening to um, Scott and Chris doing Two True Freaks, and um, there is a lot of good stuff in there. There is the goofy stuff that you know those old Dark Horse letter people were talking about, but. I just have so much respect for them. I mean, um, Jennifer was mentioning the whole quest for Han thing. It's you gotta imagine you're Marvel, you're a Marvel Comics editor, and you're doing Star Wars. At the end of Empire Strikes Back, you can't have them find Han, but because of the status quo, they have to always be looking for Han. You know, um, Darth Vader found out that Luke, uh, no, Darth Vader, Luke found out that Darth Vader may or may not be his father. But you can't do anything with that. Luke can't search for the truth or do anything to find the truth. You can't have Darth Vader and Luke meet again. Luke can't go. Oh, they did. They did. And that was one of the exciting things when they actually um, found little ways to cheat the system. Yeah. Because the very first EU story for Star Wars was actually in Marvel Comics. It was when they got to issue seven, they were suddenly past the movie. What do we do at this point? And they kept it going. Something that Marvel didn't really have a spectacular track record with. with a, they have done a number of great movie adaptations, and some of them they tried to carry forward, most of them with you know, questionable levels of success. Logan's Run, that had come right before Star Wars, ran, I think, two issues after, two god-awful issues after the movie, and then that title folded. So it was kind of risky. Did they really want to keep it going? on a venture that Stan Lee was a little bit questionable about anyway. you got to remember, this was a time when, when sci-fi comics did not sell. And that was the biggest hurdle that they had to overcome with, with selling the whole idea of Stan Lee, who was then the uh, chairman of Marvel Comics, was to get the book published in the first place, in which case uh, Roy Thomas, who's credited here as the writer, he's really the hero of the story here. He's the guy that not only sold Star Wars to Marvel, to Stan Lee at Marvel, but also According to Jim Shooter, who was eventually uh, the uh, head of Marvel Comics, Marvel, Star Wars saved Marvel, and th that's an incredible accomplishment. And uh, I just wanted to point out what that was. Anyway, with this story, we go beyond the movie. This story is essentially the magnif magnificent seven in space. Han Solo and Chewbacca get pressed into service to help out this space priest. And it's a wacky story. It's as wacky as it sounds. They recruit all these weird aliens from all over this planet to basically 
help fend off these guys that are coming in every year and raiding this small village of every resource that they generate during the year. You guys seen A Bug's Life? Same story, same exact story. So then they go beyond that. And I think, honestly, a lot of people may have never gotten past that story. That may be why there is that stigma out there that Marvel Comics Star Wars is not so good. Because the first story, not so good. Features a giant green rabbit. This is Jar Jar before Jar Jar. <laughs> it's Jar Jar mixed with Bugs Bunny. Jar Jar mixed with Bugs Bunny, very much so. He actually battles someone later, two guys named, uh, what was it? Uh, Alvin and Alvin. Yeah. And the way people talk about Jax, whenever people mention the models, they mention Jackson. I thought he was a regular character. By the way people talk, he's only in one arc and then has a cameo like uh, in a fill-in issue later. And they pretty much did to him what they did to Jar Jar, which was, see you later. You're not, you're not working for us. George Lucas, by according to legend anyway, hated this story. Roy Thomas, for all he did to kick this title off and save Marvel and all that, he just caught, quietly faded away after the story, which is a shame, because the guy's a brilliant writer. Ever read the Kree Scroll War in the Avengers? Roy Thomas wrote that. So it's not like he's a hack. He's a great writer. It's just he only had so much to work with, he decided to go with a giant monster story. So then we move on beyond that. This is Godzilla. To, I think, where they started to get the idea that, you know, in Star Wars we see these different worlds. Let, let's change it up. What's the world everybody wanted after Star Wars? We had an all dirt planet. Let's get an all water planet. You got an image or something? I do. All right. As And they go to, I don't know that the planet's ever named, but the system was named Drexel. All water planet. It's basically water world before water world. It actually is very similar to water world in a lot of ways. Oh, oh. Giant Moai. Soundtrack is good. I'll get it. anticipated the Christmas or the holiday special too. Yes, yes. Because they have they have these giant beasts you see here. But you can't see this, right? <laughs> you got the giant lizard monster here. These guys actually had riders. It involves this whole story where there's two different factions that are warring. Han winds up on one side of the faction. Uh, Luke winds up on the other. They actually fight each other in that story. Chewie ends up almost strangling Luke on a great John Byrne cover. You guys remember John Byrne from the 80s? Um, and then from there, we have more news for that? Or story line. So this was an excellent story. This was actually starts to ramp up a bit from here. Really good stuff. It actually feels like Star Wars. Um, and then... <laughs> the wheel's the first time that the Empire uh, showed back up in the Star Wars comics after, uh, because they had a limitation of who they could use. They couldn't use Darth Vader for a little while, and so there, there's the arc where Han's fighting um, Sergio Aragonex. Yeah, if the name's familiar, then yes, it should be. Yeah, Sergiex, and then there's uh, Crimson Jack and his band of pirates, and he has like a little teenage wench named Jolly, and they basically defeat her by making her think about kissing. I'm not joking. <laughs> but I seriously can read the book, I'm not joking. And then um, and then the water bandit. So like you had what issue was it? It's it's the cover where do you have the cover, Chris, the Empire Strikes? Before you switch that image. Two very big reasons why we enjoyed this title as uh, as preteens. <laughs> Alright. And of course the Empire Strikes. You see this on t-shirts. This is on t-shirts now. A lot of stuff that 
this series generated, and it's actually starting to pop up now. Your t-shirt, Yeah. This is a Marvel cover. You guys know who this is? We have actually a prize if you know who this is on your shirt. Yes. And the shirt says Boba Fett. It's a pack of lies. <laughs> Give this man a t-shirt. Where's his t-shirt? So back to uh, Chris Hoffplanet's uh, question before about how much free reign did they have? And that initial storyline between issues 7 and 10, they had pretty much carte blanche. They could do what they wanted to. But by proving that they didn't quite know how to handle Star Wars with a giant monster story, it was then ratcheted way back. So then a lot of things became off the table. They couldn't touch Darth Vader. They could not have Luke and Vader meet. Couldn't have Luke and Vader fight. Uh, a lot of things. So that only got worse progressively as each one went along. So then the story with the wheel would eventually wrap up and lead right into the story that would basically set the table for The Empire Strikes Back. They actually did kind of find a backdoor way to have Luke and Vader meet each other and actually fight for just a little bit. It's one of the greatest panels in this pre-Empire uh, section. And of course, Vader, they'd let him appear, but not actually interacting with the rebels or finding the rebels. So he kind of snuck in backdoor style because he was on a quest to learn who had destroyed the Death Star. And this went on for quite a while before eventually he did track down Luke's name, knew who he was, and then began to go after him. That led into uh, the Valence. Oh, wait, yeah, that's fine. So they actually did meet, get to fight each other. This right before Empire happens. But they had another guy, because they, they kind of had to do a lot of wheel spinning. And this is something that Chris brings up on our show a lot when you read the issues. It's a really exciting stuff, but a lot of times, at the end of it, you feel like, well, this is a lot of wheel spinning. Well, exactly, because they had three years to come between these movies. So what can they do to keep it exciting, yet still be able to follow the mandates of things that they could touch and couldn't touch? Surprised me, too. So this guy, Valence the Cyborg, came along as a new bad guy that they could fight. I have no idea how to turn this thing out. And uh, eventually, he and Vader would find each other at odds. This to me is one of the best stories of the pre-Empire, you know, the Empire Strikes Back era, when you've got these two great bad guys, the cyborg guy, he's basically the Terminator, fighting Darth Vader. They fight on a lava planet. Very prescient of episode three. There's actually a lot of parallels in that, in that story. Feel free to jump in anytime, guys. Um, where do we want to go from there? Oh, just it's a it's a fun era. When you look at the art, you see things like the um, the game board that um, Free PO and Chewie are playing on in the first movie. It looks completely different. And um, I remember listening to you guys talking about that, and just that looks ridiculous. But then you say they didn't have you know VHS, they didn't have DVDs, they couldn't torrent it. They don't say the T word. <laughs> they uh, they they just had like. If you wanted to see Star Wars again, and it, you know it wasn't on TV, you had to wait till it was in theaters. They they didn't have the reference material, so hats off to them. But you do see that in that era, it took them a while to get Chewie right. And uh, Chris, can you do the Pim Chewie picture? The oh yeah, Pim Chewie. This is from uh, the first arc um, after the movie. 
he's pulling it up. And this is, again, one of those hindsight things. Um, they establish in the Star Wars holiday special that Chewie is married. He just, you know, never sees his wife because, you know, that's why I'm pulling it. But I have it labeled as King Chewie. Like, <laughs> yes. So in that magnificent seven story, Chewie's picking up girls, you know, and when you first read that issue, it's just, oh, Chewie's picking up girls, but you read it now, it's like, Mad Chewie, you have a wife at home and a kid that you never see. Come on, man. Does this remind me of Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space? Because I totally get that vibe. It's Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space about to go terribly wrong. Yeah. It's the crossover that nobody demanded, but that you have to look away from. <laughs> one, of, one of the other like minor things I find amusing about the early ones is because they didn't have any other reference material, like Leia, poor Leia spends three years in that same white dress. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like if they, you saw before, like if they really wanted to go crazy, they put him in his outfit from the metal ceremony at the end, but you know, otherwise he always had to wear his warm boy outfit. So a long way, Josh touched on uh, art and artists. You know, sometimes they had questionable art, sometimes they had questionable stories, sometimes the quality of the stories would vary. But some of the top talents of Marvel Comics, or just comics in general, in the 70s and 80s, worked on Star Wars at one time or another. Guys like Al Williamson, uh, Ron Friends, Ron Friends, Walt Simonson, Thor, uh, John Byrne, I mean, some top talent guys really doing some great stuff. This is uh, Walt Simonson here. Great stuff. I mean, the ships never looked better than when Walt Simonson was doing this. It's just some incredible stuff. Michael Golden. Remember the Micronauts? Michael Golden did some stuff. Carmine Infantino, who takes a lot of knocks, but uh, I'm actually quite fond of uh, Infantino stuff, just because it is a little bit weird. It's a little bit bizarre. I, I still like the kind of parallel universe version of Star Wars in a lot of ways. And I love the, uh, I love the stump. Do you know Stump just act off here. Which is something that they actually didn't show in the, uh, in the adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back. The original one for Star Wars actually had extra stuff that they didn't have in the finished movie, like the famous big scene and things like that. They get the Empire, they actually bring themselves in, and I, I'm guessing that this is a Lucas mandate. There were things that they could not show or did not show, like Luke losing his hand and things like that. So in a lot of ways, to me, the original one was still the superior one, just for all the extra stuff you got. This was teeny the extra stuff for your kids. This was a scene you just didn't get anywhere else. This is actually John the Hutt. Dog-faced John is what we used to call him. Way before he became just a big fat slug in the, in the third movie. Or just a swarthy, uh, hairy, mud-looking human. Yeah. And, and they brought him back because they're like, hey, Han Solo's that guy jabbing money, and we need to do some stories before Star Wars 2 comes out. So let's do a story where Han clears his debt with Jabba, which, uh, great. And of course, Jabba still had two legs and was, you know, skinny and dog-faced. That was when George Lucas started grinding his teeth, I think, at the yeah. end of the and you could see, like, at one of the last issues before Empire, in fact, it was the issue before the Michael Golden one. Who has an issue number? Yeah, this, that, that guy that guy who won, he's got a Star Wars Marvel shirt on, he knows them all. At the end of issue 38, there's, um, 
like in two panels, like there's a scene where like Jabba discovers Crimson Jack ship. He's like, ah, that was my ship. So now status quo restored. Han owes me money again, just in time for Empire Strikes Back. Which they did a lot of. It. They did a lot of it where they would they would do an element and then if it didn't sync up with what Lucas was going to do, they have this quick scramble and fix that. And they did that with uh, they had a storyline between the Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. My personal favorite era of the Marvel Star Wars comics, although there were certainly stories earlier than that that I really enjoyed. You would think, when you think about it, you know, the Empire Strikes Back, the way it ends, and of course now, in hindsight, we know where Return of the Jedi picks up. It's actually a very <laughs> tiny window of time to really tell any stories. And what can you do? Han was off the table, you know, Luke was messed up, and just all this stuff that you know that they weren't allowed to fiddle with. Relationship between Luke and Leia, between Han and Leia, you know, Luke couldn't go back and finish his Jedi training. We were kind of promised that in the third movie. So all this stuff is off the table. What do you do? Feels like that should be the era where all the wheel spinning happens, and a lot of it does. But it's also the most exciting time. And it's weird that it turned out that way. It was just some great stuff, and largely due to just some top-notch writers and artists. But they did some really exciting stuff. And as you mentioned before, you know, the search for Han Solo, to me, was exciting when I was a kid. They actually did a story, one of the greatest, uh, what do you call that, fake outs, you know, like the Best Buy, yeah. you the TV for a buck, and you go in and it's not there, that, I, there's a technical term for that. Um, bait and switch. Bait and switch, thank you. They did a bait and switch where it looked like they were going to find Han Solo. The cover, the search for Han Solo ends here. And it shows uh, Lando and Luke coming around this carbonite block, and you're like, oh, this is odd. They're actually finding Han Solo before the movie. I won't spoil it for you if you've never read it. One of the greatest cliffhangers in comics, in my opinion. Speaking of great cliffhangers, yeah. Luke Skywalker, I have come for you. This is pre Return of the Jedi, and we about soiled ourselves. It was awesome. Again, you talk about bait and switch. It is a great bait and switch. I won't spoil it for you. If you've never read it, it's awesome. This, by the way, is the cover to. Sorry, spoiler. Cover to the uh, third volume of the Dark Horse Omnibuses that they're currently reprinting. This stuff is available dirt cheap. I mean, they're reprinting it like crazy. All the original stuff got reprinted. Star Wars, the original six-issue adaptation, one of the most reprinted comics ever. And they did these giant, giant, uh, oversized books. If you ever get a chance to pick that stuff up, it's awesome. There's a, there's a two-part treasury. They did the treasury one part. I used to have a little paperback in black and white. You know, I, just every format they could possibly, you know, they, they couldn't print them fast enough. Yeah, yeah digest, little tiny digest, great big giant. They got the ones. And even Dark Horse has reprinted them a bunch of times. They got the Vader cover from the VHS, and then they uh, reprinted them again with the, um, a long time ago big ones, and then now they did it again with the little ones, and then they, with the DVDs that came out, it's, and, and it, the funny thing is, each of the editions, like, when they reprinted in 1995, it's completely recolored. Um, and I like to look at the differences between all the different versions. It's like in the original version, Luke says, Uncle Ben, when his uncle dies, I mean, isn't or Peter Parker, I guess, but uh, in all the versions after it, from the first reprint on, it's Uncle Owen. Thank you very much. So a lot of the characters that are actually still being used today in the expanded universe 
like Bamaya, came from Marvel Star Wars. We actually have uh, Luke forgetting that he's not Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man, and calling for I thought he was bad. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, do you know if somebody got a no prize? That was the day of the no prize, so they might have gotten something. I imagine they gave oh. a lot of no prizes for that. For those adaptations, yeah. In fact, uh, lightsaber is spelled differently in the original version. It's like S-A-V-R-E. But like, from the second printing on, like they changed little things. I think Wookiee maybe even spelled differently. Javikot had one Z. Back and forth all the time. This is actually by Cynthia Martin, some of her earliest stuff, uh, working for Marvel. Just an incredible artist. And, uh, Yeah, she, she's one of my favorites, Cindy Morton. Um, her style is just so fluid, and, it, and it's different, too. It's more stylized, um, which, you know, when I was young, I was a little taken aback by that as someone with not a lot of comic book experience. How can you do that? Um, but I think just something about it works so well uh, for this universe. It always struck me as very reminiscent of the, uh, is it Nelvana? Uh, the animated stuff for the uh, for the Christmas special, the holiday special. Yeah. And it was really a shame because that was at the end of the it, it was kind of exciting when this new art art came out and they're trying something different. It was it was over. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of uh, they were kind of stymied after the end of Return of the Jedi. Of course, the Empire's defeated, Darth Vader's dead, the Emperor's dead. What do we do now? And they were further hamstrung by a lot of mandates, the most mandates they probably ever had to work under, of things they could not touch. They could not advance the relationship of Han Solo and Princess Leia. They couldn't make Luke really a full Jedi as far as now he's got to start a new Jedi Order, although they kind of half-heartedly claimed they, the idea. They did, although, advance the relationship between Luke and Leia. Why not? <laughs> oh, is awkward, and now we know why. Hindsight. <laughs> hey, and, and remember on, on the Death Star when they're about to swing across the rope and she does like that little her luck? Yeah, um, just, let's see how that looked in the Marvel. <laughs> and then, and right before the Battle of the Avenue, she gives him another quick little peck, like, may the force be with you, you know, nice sisterly affectionate. How did Marvel do that one? I know you got that one, Grace. I'm sorry, I only got, I only got to make it out three sister, you know, they're not acting like they're star-crossed lovers at all. There's a lot of awkward moments. Like, there's one where um, Luke's on an undercover mission uh, to, what was the planet with uh, the Tag family? It's like a jungle planet, and uh, Princess Leia's spying on him through R2-D2, but like, he doesn't know. And he's like talking to R2-D2, oh, you know, I just love Leia so much, but I think she likes Han better than me. She quickly orders the radio. Like, yes. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, it's also worth mentioning that that was the case, you know, in the novels as well. Sculpture of the Mind oh, Eye, yes. you know, has the same yes. sort of 
a very awkward changing of clothes scene that I And eventually Lucasfilm did tell them that you can't do anything with Luke and Leia between Empire and Jedi. There was a point though where even after Empire, you still have Leia getting jealous when Luke's hanging around with Sheer Bree and uh, there, there's one issue, I don't remember what it was, so we don't have the image, but like they're holding hands and he's talking about his future with her and they're like marching in a parade and he's thinking, oh one day after the war me and Leia can be something more than just friends and it's... Uh, but again, but you can't blame them. I mean, you know, who knew? Yeah, that's why the return of the Jedi shocker of the brother and sister was as much of a shocker as it was because in other media, Luke and Leia were being portrayed as these like Twilight star-crossed lovers. You're on Team Han. You're on Team Luke. This is actually a fill-in issue, fill-in story 
from the, what was it, pre-Jedi, this is between Empire and Jedi, Leia goes off on a mission. This is actually a John Carter, Warlord of Mars story, that was pulled out of a drawer at Marvel, and basically lightly retooled to be a Star Wars story. One of the <laughs> worst stories of the entire uh, series, unfortunately. Uh, I, yes. What was fun to look at, though, is you look at that two-issue story arc, and it's just a lot of fun to see where they really didn't try to disguise the fact at all that it was John Carter's story. I always thought this one was the worst story of all time, the, the Darth Vader and Princess Leia having oh. a kind of ratfall fight through the whole thing. And with the chubby superhero at the bottom. The killer butterfly. The first time that Han and no, the first time that Leia and Vader meet after Empire, you know, after like you know he froze, he froze her boyfriend in Carbonite, after the capture at Cloud City, the first time that they meet, and they're talking about banking and like you know hiding weapons on a banking plan. It was a villain issue. It was probably written before Empire, but the only thing that was going for this issue is Carbonite and Pantino's obsession with Princess Leia's. Um, Assets. Assets, yes. He was pretty much exaggerated Carrie Fisher probably to his own taste. And a teenage boy's taste. How are we looking on time? We got 20 minutes. We do? About quarter after, so. Do we want to open it up for Q&A? We want to do our Chewy? Oh, yeah. We have us. One of our favorite features of Marvel Comics Star Wars, which was ah Chewbacca. You have an image here. Oh yeah, Chewbacca is our personal favorite in Marvel Comics Star Wars because he gets the best dialogue. Go back to the other one. Yeah, we got a little crowd participation here. We got Donovan here who's gonna um, demonstrate for you how to do a Wookiee cry. I prepared a little slideshow of some of Chewbacca's greatest hits, and uh, if you'd like to um, try to do some Wookiee calls along with Dunham here, we'll start off with an easy one.
much more designed than something like that. We're getting into some of the more advanced looking cries, so here's a... Here's a The events in Marvel comics are considered part of the canon by Lucasfilm, just like everything else. 
may not always fit in as well. Well, I, I thought, but it is. I thought there. we still did a tiered canon, like you have A, B, and C. And well, it's more it's more A and B. A being anything George himself does, and then B is kind of everything else. So. You asked a question before about about no prizes, and I, I the one I used to really love was during the water story, the water world story. That story came out right about the same time that Alan Dean Foster's book, The Splendor of the Minds I Got. Oh my gosh. And there was a huge dust up about the fact that in his book, let me see if I can get this right. Leia can swim. No. No, Leia can swim. Leia can't Leia swim. Leia not swim. Luke can. could. Yet in Marvel Star Wars, and to me, logically, Luke could not swim, and Leia could. I mean, he grew up on a desert planet. Where the hell do you want to swim? But. It's awesome. Cool. Reading the next <laughs> several the Anchorhead wine scene. The community pool at Anchorhead. So, <laughs> so you know, it's great reading the next several letters pages as they scramble back and forth with no prizes trying to figure out how do we explain this away? You just can't. Come on. It's well, they had like a psychological mind block or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's like what somebody said. Oh, like, he forgot to <laughs> say <laughs> <laughs> The, the, the bounty hunter. So the last issue before the Empire Strikes Back, 
Um, there, there is a bounty hunter that he said he he shoots. Okay, so 37. Um, there's a bounty hunter comes gunning for Han Solo. I don't think, to my memory, they actually say Ord Mantell, but it has been referenced back somewhere, Wikipedia or something, that's what they were talking about. Of course, that's been done because there was actually a record that you could buy that was, uh, uh, you know, it was one of those Disney, it was a Disney thing. Rebel Mission to Ord Mantell, and that told the story. The, the newspaper, the newspaper strips. strips. It happened twice in the newspaper strips. Yeah, so it was actually done several times. Take your pick at this point of which one you want to follow because I guess they could all fit or none. In the Blu-ray when Han says the bounty hunter we ran into at Omarindale changed my mind, Leia's going to say which one. Here's her. Back in the Sarlacc at the end of the issue. That was a doubter. I thought he got away and then he gets back in and he shoots 
And that's that's one of my favorite issues too, because um, and at the beginning, Han's dealing with the fact that he just came out of you know carbonite for whatever Lucasfilm says the timeline is now six months or three years. He's lost all this time of his life, and he was basically like a non-person. He can't access his bank account. He's, there's a scene where he's yeah, hugging Chewie because he's dead. Yeah. Yeah, the accountant says, your, your account is frozen because you're frozen. He's like, well, I'm clearly not frozen. She's like, sorry, sir, I'm just going by what it says. Wait, one more question right here, sir. Because as kids, that went right over our heads. We had no idea. We, we, we just we were like, who is this Pancho Villa-looking dude? We had no idea who he was. And then later, of course, we did a little bit more homework, thanks to the internet, which didn't exist then. And yeah, this is actually this is supposed to be Sergio Aragonés. You ever see uh, Mad Magazine, little cartoons in the, in the borders? Sergio Aragonés. And so, to the best of our knowledge, it was actually supposed to be a loving tribute. Sergio is actually a huge huge Star Wars fan. He actually had a one-shot special, I think it was called Sergio Aragonis, I think, Destroys He's done a bunch of, yeah. Stomps? Is it Stomps? Stomps, the Star Wars universe. Great stuff. Hilarious. If you've never read it, it's cheap. You can find it in 50 cent bins. It's great. Good, really good stuff. Yes, sir. Do you think you're seeing these kind of characters, like these obscure characters that no one like, really knows much about? As a matter of fact, I was just talking to uh, uh, Christy, I think was her name. Um, that's the wife. I, 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 what, I think she's on the show, but I know her husband is part of the show at least. Just talking to her about that and saying, do you guys go beyond just the movies? Because that's what I've heard, that they only did the movies. But she said, no, they embrace all of the EU and especially these guys. And that could be a lot of fun to bring up some something like that would be awesome. you know. And I want to see people cosplaying as this stuff. I've seen you know, 20 gazillion Mandalorians. I want to see Sergi X. I want to see Lamaya. I want to see Jackson the freaking rabbit. <laughs> I saw Lamaya really at Celebration 5. I do it myself. And, uh, you know, come on. So seriously, you guys that love the costume, step it up. I want to see these guys. That would be the Cody Sunchild. One of the most epic and wonderful stories ever. Right, Josh said, I will buy you dinner. I will, I will buy you dinner. Star Wars Ray Foster's dinner at Celebration 7. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he may prove to be the greatest friend you will ever know. <laughs> we have any other... How much time we got left? We probably got time for another... One more question? I'm sorry, how long? A couple minutes? A couple minutes. Yes. I definitely, yeah. Speaking, of which, yeah. speaking of which, I don't have a picture of this, but if you ever see anybody with the t-shirt, with it's it's one of the covers of, of this, with Dark playing with the little people on it, like on, on a chessboard. Pew, 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 pew. Do, do you know who did that? I need their phone number because they stole that from our podcast and they owe us 
after a new home. Um, and I think it's going to really kind of recapture that sort of fun, um, adventurous feel of the Marvel books. So um, that comes out in January. There's a panel about it at 7 tonight. Um, so it might be something you should know. Something I totally forgot to mention. Um, Randy Stradley, you guys are following the, Mar the Dark Horse stuff. Randy Stradley got his start on Marvel Star Wars. It was his first published issue ever. It was number 86, probably the single greatest issue of the series. It was a Leia flashback story. She meets a stormtrooper who actually came from Alderaan. Great story. If you've never read it, it's fantastic stuff. Seek it out. If you only ever get one issue, that's probably the issue to get. Chris? Uh, Scott and I have the Two True Freaks podcast. We are all over Star Wars, Star Trek, we got horror podcasts, we got a million of The Walking Dead? The Walking Dead. We were actually, were we the first? We're, we're one of the longest running Walking Dead podcasts. We don't get any credit for that, but we actually have been around that long. And uh, yeah, stop by afterwards, we'll give you a little, little flyers and tell you what that's all about. Our show is not for young ears, by the way. I've actually, uh, I'm amazed with myself. I'm gonna go buy myself a drink because I don't think I've cussed once. Thank you so much for joining us. We are Two True Freaks. I have flyers with our website. Hey, here we are. Wasn't that fascinating? <laughs> Whoa, you <laughs> blew my mind. Doesn't that give you a giant woody for Marvel Star Wars comic books now that you've that you've heard uh, that that incredible Actually, display? Actually, I'm looking at, at well, never mind. Yeah, All right. You're not supposed to be uh, you're not supposed to be uh, multitasking during these podcasts. I thought we talked about. It. I guess if you call that multitasking, multi something. My mom used to tell me that multitasking give me hair on my palms. <laughs> of course, you know, we 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 did we did the panel and everything went fine. But of course, afterwards we're like, man, you know, that could have gone a lot better than than we thought, you know, or than we thought it was going to, or blah blah blah, or you know, I thought, you know, I don't. I, I just thought kept I thinking, man, better. I wish everybody else had shut up and let me talk. I but... wish, I, <laughs> I wish everybody hadn't gotten up and walked out of the room. You know, <laughs> I think they, you know, I think they needed a glass of water or something. I don't know. It wasn't us. But uh, the next day, Josh, Josh Bertoni, and I keep on to say his name like I'm drunk and ordering a martini. Go, Josh Bertoni. Josh Bertoni. So Josh Bertoni was say was, um, reading around on the internets, and he was and posted up a whole long clip of somebody writing about our panel, which of course immediately struck horror into our hearts. You know, oh, somebody's writing about us. You know, and. So we started reading it, and it turned out to be somebody who actually sort of had horror struck into their heart when they heard there was a Marvel Star Wars panel, because they thought we were going to sort of light into the comics, or it was going to be a big, uh, big sort of mock out of it. But they were pleasantly surprised. So we were saying, "Hey, we like this the direction of this story," and um, at a at a certain po point, they said, um, "You know, that while they were listening, that they wanted to." You know, there were certain points where they disagreed with us, where they would have liked to have uh, a voice their opinion on the spot, but they would have thought it would have been rude. But Scott and I were thinking, no, that would have been pretty, uh, pretty awesome, actually. So, without further ado, now we have him on the show, cornered. 
<laughs> Which but, of us is cornered? Do you yeah, want yeah. It's it's a, it's like a Mexican standoff, <laughs> and it's it's Mr. Scott Rifun. Is Rifun how you pronounce it? I should have asked you that close before. Enough. The the use more of a schwa. A schwa. Yeah, Scott Rifun. Rifun. Okay. Ah. I like. We I, just learned to read last week. Sorry. Yeah, about but that. I like I like the word fun in it. You know, it just it yeah. it differentiates you from the other Scott who's. Um, not fun. <laughs> well, I didn't want to say it, you know. Yeah, we always say you can't spell rifen without f u in. So. <laughs> so I just want to say that made our day, man. Reading reading that yes that post was literally just had us so, uh, you know, because every time you do something like this that we've been like, you know, anticipating doing it for for a long time. You know, when you get done, it's you're always going over everything you did going I don't know if you know that was as entertaining you know I don't know what to think about it you know it really made me feel good because I kind of got pressed into service as the as the MC of the whole thing and I tried not to just bogart the time but every time I would throw it to the clowns you know sitting at the desk they'd all just look at me and go so (laughs) It's like, you know, I, I, I really kind of felt thrown to the wolves in the whole thing. And, of course, you're, you're always your own worst critic. So after the whole thing was over, I thought, you know, all I could focus on was the people that, that literally did get up and leave during the course of the thing. Which, you know, that happens no matter if, you know, who you are. You know, people have to get up and whatever, go to the bathroom or there's another panel going on or, you know, they got to go tend their kids or whatever. But, you know, that that's what I focused on. So... I just I felt like it could have gone better. And of course everybody in our group afterwards was, "No, no, it was great. You know, it was awesome." It's like, "Yeah, well, thanks, but you know, you're you're kind of here to kiss our ass, you know? So I I can only take your criticism so far." <laughs> Is that why know? they were there? Uh, I wondered why we got in, all in my in my fantasy involved. world. <laughs> but, you know, but but to read your oh, review, you know, for friends. From, yeah, I I thought that was awesome. So, thank you very much. Yeah. I, th- I that really made my day. Well, first off, I just want to say I'm a big fan of the podcast and have been for about the last two weeks. So. <laughs> hey, if that's the way we have to get a, a listener is to do a whole you know PowerPoint presentation, we're we're up for it. It's worth now, it for I, us. I, I will tell you the truth: I had never heard of you guys before, I, and and how that I, I don't I, I like podcasting a lot, but you know I, I'm on the radio as we talked about uh, before things got going here and. <laughs> because of that i just i don't have a lot of time you know i'm making so much audio that i don't have time to listen to a lot of audio. yeah yeah well i i don't think it would be yeah. very hard You're not to quiet brother yeah it, it's very easy not to find us too <laughs> you know we're, we're very easy not to find we're not exactly like you know tearing up the tearing up the airwaves so yeah, well, when I found out about this, and it was some guys I didn't know, didn't know to trust you or not, and uh, I thought I was going to show up and it was going to be Jackson Fest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I didn't want that. And I really hoped that that wasn't what it was going to be. Because that seems to be, I mean, they always whip out the Jackson bullet. Well, Jackson, you know, I mean, it's it's almost like he has to be addressed at some point. Yeah. But no, even I, even so, I don't find him that that offensive as far as a star Wars character, you know, and as star Wars has gone on, star Wars has gotten a little goofier as it's gone on. So it's sort of, 
you know, met in the middle with Jackson, you know? Right, yeah. You know? So it was prescient in its way. Yeah, yeah. And the the second you guys started talking, though, and, and, and Scott really lit it on fire for me because one of the things he said that just went, okay, I trust these guys now. One of the things that made me sit back and go, all right, I'm going to enjoy this is when he talked about how for those of us who were kids back in the day, those Marvel comics, they were Star Wars Mm -hmm. because that's all we, we, you know, occasionally there's a re-release, but otherwise that's all we had to, to, to keep our minds fresh. Absolutely. And and in all fairness, I I feel like I kind of stole Chris's thunder on that because we, we did, you know, a little powwow session before the, uh, before the panel got started and, and threw out some different um, some different ideas of things that we wanted to go over and such. And I think that was actually on his list as something that he wanted to cover. So I, I kind of jumped in on that. But, uh, well, but we, you know, we definitely do feel that way that, you know, from our childhood, absolutely. Marvel Star Wars filled that gap. That was Star Wars between the movies. And it, and it kept, you know, kept Star Wars alive while you were waiting you know, for it to, you know, for either a sequel or it for, you know, for it to come back round again. Or a holiday special or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, (laughs) I think it's very easy for, like, Dark Horse Comics to talk about, you know, the difference in quality of the writing of their comics and and the Marvel Star Wars. But they had 20 years of rich history to draw from to make their stories, you know. They, they... They could, you know, work with a lot of canon, whereas those Marvel Star Wars guys were, you know, I mean, they, I, they, they, they were sort, they were Star Wars fans. But even a Star Wars fan in that that day, you only had so much information to work with, and a lot of them were probably, you know, on on the, you know, maybe were Star Wars fans, or maybe were like, okay, now I got this job, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so. It's 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 hard to say, you know, these days if you see someone who's writing for Star Wars, they're usually a fan and they usually know their stuff and can put some resonance in the story. And and these guys were just like sort of, well, we know we're writing in the genre of science fiction and here's the names of everybody and here's what they look like. Well, yeah, the Dark Horse guys have the advantage of knowing the beginning, the middle and the end. And they know where the gaps are that they can start filling things in. Right. And Marvel started off. There's there's one movie, and go play with it, right? Which sort of since since we're at the sort of beginning of Marvel Comics, and Scott and I've done it a bunch of times on the show. But uh, um, do you have a a sort of what well, we call it an origin? Do you have your origin story of like how you first? Do you remember how you first uh, found the Marvel Star Wars comics? Marvel Star Wars, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we were in a, a local department store, Gibson's department store, and they had a little magazine rack, and uh, and uh, I saw the n- number two was sitting on the shelf. That was the first one I got. And, um, you know, comics. You know, Swing you know, the, that lightsaber, Ben. Or oh, we're, we're finished. finished. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, and I got that, and I went nuts. And uh, you know, the days of the spinner rack—you never knew what you were going to find, where, when. Right. Um, and I think a couple of days after I got two, I found four. So, <laughs> I th- think originally I wound up with two, four, and five, and that was all I had of the adaptation. But I've I've since made up for that in so many different formats. It's not even funny. But uh, yeah, that was, and I begged, and I begged, and I begged, and I begged, and I finally 
finally talked her into it before we left the store, and that was the first Star Wars comic I had. And uh, religiously hunting down, like every time we'd go on a trip, every time we went anywhere, we had to scour the convenience store. We didn't have a comic shop here, so it was scouring the convenience stores. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, really that launched me onto being a comic collector ultimately because, you know, then I'd see something else on the rack. I, I was always going to the rack for Star Wars. And then, oh, that kind of looks cool. Oh, let me grab that. You know, and then you buy the thing number two, which makes you buy Fantastic Four 256, which makes you buy the Avengers 233, and on you're off to the races. Right. So, mm-hmm. It sounds it sounds very close to our origin yes, stories yeah, as far as so. as far as Star Wars comics and comics go, yeah. for that matter, because that was definitely what got me interested. That was definitely made me aware of like, you should get comics every month because then you can follow the storyline. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, yeah. I, I was I've always been a big fan of big shared large universes that just you know. That there's you really don't have a beginning and an end because they just keep going and uh, so the more different things tied in with other things, I was happy. Now, do you have a, a personal favorite like like era or characters or artists that sort of thing for Star Wars? Yeah, oh yeah, Archie Goodwin, Al Williamson, Carlos Garzon, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. And the and the fact that I ran into him at, at the artist alley at Celebration, I could there was no sign. I figured out. You know, he barely didn't speak a lot of English, and I really, literally figured out who he was just by exchanging a few words with him, because he didn't tell me who he was, and I didn't see a sign, and and I, you know, because I kept he kept showing me all this art, and I kept going, well, Al Williamson's dead. Who? It, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I'd known that. I wish I'd known that he was there. I. Uh... Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah he didn't. was there. We sat for a little while and just kind of and and you know I spoke in broken Spanish and he spoke in broken English and it was it was beautiful. <laughs> you know, and we, we didn't spend about... near enough time in uh, in Artist Alley. We we tried no. to, but there was just so much stuff going on. Oh yeah, well you know my thing is usually story, story, story. I usually don't even you know I'll stray towards the artist a little bit, but it usually doesn't really mean that much to me. But this one, I just happened to, and it really. I was delighted that it happened the way it did. I don't usually buy prints. I bought his print. Well, now, what was it an original or was it like a reproduction type of thing or what was no, it? No, it was it was an original he did for for Celebration Six, and it's a it's a Hoth battle scene with Walkers blasting Rebel soldiers. It's it, it's so evocative of that that uh, you know the Empire adaptation and the Star Wars newspaper strips and uh. you know, it's just yeah, it's gorgeous. <laughs> now I really, I'm now I'm really sorry I didn't see that while I was there. That would have been nice. Oh yeah. You know that just reminds me. I think Bertoni started putting up on Facebook, and I don't know if it's on his Marvel Star Wars page or if he started up another one. But um, I believe it's Bertoni. There was yeah. one that was dedicated to uh, the the um, newspaper comics. It was. It looked like the color Sunday ones. Oh, well, is he, that he him started, that's doing it? Yeah, it I is. I think that's him that's doing it. It ah. is. It is because uh, I got a hold of him. I said, where are you getting this stuff from? Because he was doing the Sunday stuff and he's doing the daily stuff too. Hmm. Scott Scott has a bunch of the daily ones that he's had that his grandmother saved from the newspaper, <laughs> which is funny because right. I had my grandmother saving them from the newspaper too because I guess grandmothers were the ones who subscribed to the papers Well, the, those the days. daily one, I cut out myself and saved those, but my grandmother, she collected grit, so I have a lot of the grit. Oh. 
nowhere near like complete stories or anything. Whereas no. the daily, I'm actually only missing just a handful of stories to have everything right. they ever printed in the in the Watertown Daily Times. But really? that was all Russ Manning stuff. They they started yeah. with Manning's story going to the gambling planet. They didn't. They never ran the Williamson stuff. At, at least not while we bought. No, the not on yeah. not on our paper. Yeah. I would have been really into that. Yeah. See, our our local paper didn't cover it, but the Jacksonville paper. And Jacksonville's just where we are. We're an hour between. We're we're an hour from Jacksonville and we're an hour from Savannah. So we're right in the middle. Right in the and, middle. Yeah. Uh, our, our local paper didn't cover it, so but we also didn't have a Sunday paper, so we'd subscribe to the Sunday paper, and we, you know, Star Wars was in the Sunday paper, so like like you guys, I, I have a Ziploc bag in my Star Wars long box that's full of cut out Sunday uh, strips. Yep. So. Yep, that's exactly what I've got. I've got a sandwich bag full of uh, of the dailies that are nice and yellow now. See, and the more we do this, as I was sitting in that panel, the, I kept thinking, where have these guys been all my life? <laughs> and the more we do this, the more I think that. So, yeah. Well, we I when we were uh, mailing back and forth on Facebook, figuring this whole thing out, I think we were also talking about how we both seem to have the pack rat gene too. So, <laughs> yeah, we that's that's we need to do a, just a show on that. That would be a, you <laughs> oh know, yeah, borderline hor- episode of hoarders. Oh yeah, yeah. We we uh, we actually our house got so full that we bought a house twice the size. And it got full. My wife found it was a storage place. You're putting it yeah, all in storage. With 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 that gene, you can keep getting bigger houses. It doesn't <laughs> matter. They're just going to fill I'll, up. I, yeah. I'll sooner put my wife and kids in storage than put my stuff in storage. Sorry. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Well, it's climate controlled, so I, I feel fairly safe. <laughs> well, we all have to get rich so we can all have our own facility like it, you know, like the government does at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, you know, I just, just want the Adams Family house is what I want. There you go. That would be nice. Yeah. yeah. That's what I've wanted all my life. <laughs> Your own thing. Go, yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, I wonder yeah. where that copy of Star Wars number four. Oh, thank you, thing. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> well, before we go any further, though, just before we got started, you were talking about how you only had two days to play at this thing. I just want to say thank you for for taking a, a big gamble on two clowns that you had absolutely you never heard of us and, and had no idea and probably thought that we would just you know piss all over your childhood with with Marvel Star Wars. Yeah. So thank you for for taking that <laughs> chance. You know, I'm really glad that uh, that we said something that you enjoyed. You know, I'm glad that you joined us for it. And you, and not only that, you sat down in the front row. You know, and that's that's. Oh, that's it was closer when he had to throw something if he didn't like what he heard. That's true. That's true. That can work both ways for sure. Also, you're probably trying to scope out that kiss trooper too because well, he was hilarious. Well, here's here's the thing. I mean, you guys don't know, but it's Star Wars and Kiss for me. So <laughs> mm. sitting next to this guy, it was like. You know, my son get, goes crazy because I always tell him, I say, Kiss is everywhere. And if the Kiss isn't there, Star Wars is. So, and then we got there and it was Kiss and Star Wars. So, and there they both are. Yeah. That sounds like that should have been an issue of like Marvel 2 and 1 right there. The team up Kiss and Star expected. Wars. Kiss and Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> that would have been awesome. It could happen. Gene Simmons could, Gene Simmons could figure out a way to. To license and market that it's not I'm over sure. yet now come on I, would buy that. Right. I really would that would that would be awesome to see like 
the original kiss with the makeup and all that hanging out with Han and Luke and Chewie in the cockpit of the Falcon. I would buy that. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Well, you could always figure some sort of time warp or interdimensional rift that, that could throw them in there and hell throw Howard the duck in there too, man. And I would be really happy. Hey, they've already, they already beat Dr. Doom. So, I mean, you know, what's Darth Vader? <laughs> now you had on, uh, you had like the red colored, like, Star Wars, what was it, number five cover? Is that right? It was. Five, it six? was. It was a bastardized cover of uh, of five. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a couple of little things cut and changed about it, but oh, by and large, yeah, it was the art from five. It's too gotta, late, kid. We're finished. I've got to find that. I keep looking everywhere for Marvel Star Wars shirts, and I can never find them. I don't know where people are getting those from, but I've got to get one. That was Target. That was where the really? Yeah, that was a Target shirt all day. Oh wow! I guess I got. I love it. That's where the Death Star was like shooting laser yeah, beams it's right, right down outside, yeah. and taking yeah. and taking small chunks out of the top of the Rebel base. <laughs> Apparently, that was their their blaster pistol that they had going there. This has nothing to do with Marvel Star Wars, but you just mentioned Death Star, so I'll just tease it for a later show. I am currently reading that novel, Death Star. Mm. Damn, is it good? I am really, really digging it. So hopefully, within the next star wars monthly monday or two i will uh, i'll have that finished and uh, be able to give a little uh uh synopsis slash review because uh so far yeah i'm uh, i'm burning through it i'm i'm really digging it so i'm gonna breach the the topic so i heard there were a couple times that you wanted to speak <laughs> up and uh and say how dare you sir well it wasn't so much how dare you sir but there were you know there were points that i would like to have had the discussion and i actually i actually took some of them to josh already that uh, were some things he'd said uh and one of the things that he said kind of led into a i guess the first point that i kind of wanted to make on your discussion was uh, josh is not a big fan of the the uh racism against droids storylines that were running through the the marvel comics and uh I never had a problem with it because the subtext is there in the first film in a number of different places. Mm-hmm. They, yes, they're they're just they're you know, the droids are treated like a separate class of individuals, and uh, there is discrimination against them. In fact, I, I I'm, probably should be embarrassed to say this. I wrote a paper about it in college. So. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so, so hey, no judgment here. You are in no good company, here. sir. <laughs> and I got an A. So. Um, but it, it, when you guys popped up the, the human nurse and you guys started going, well, you know, the, we've got medical droids. They didn't know it at the time. But there's this human physician there on the wheel. And um, I thought to myself, well, that it stands to reason because all these high rollers, all these rich fat cats that are showing up at the wheel to spend their money, they're not going to want to settle for a droid working on them if something's wrong. <laughs> you know, the rebels, yeah, they'll put up with it because they got no money and they're using recycled ships anyway. But the 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 heavy, the big time rich guys on the wheel, they're they want a human being working on. Them. They don't want some droid doing it. I also had this thought: how do, we're not absolutely positive she was human either. She could have <laughs> just had a nice. You know, she could have been the you know the nurse equivalent of a real doll or whatever you know <laughs> now now the red cross on her i got nothing for that yeah but, right <laughs> but i will say you know like in the novels says well he had a roast dewback sandwich or you know whatever and i always go well where do they get the name sandwich from <laughs> right, right the earl right. sandwich <laughs> exactly from an obscure 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was from a witch from Tatooine, <laughs> the Sand Witch. And the other, I guess the other real beef I had to pick with you guys was uh, was from Scott, who started gushing about Cynthia Martin's work on there. And and, and I've got to say, in fairness to you, Scott, you encouraged me, I'm going to go back and reread it. But at the time, that was, to me, the death knell of the series when that stuff showed up there. And wow, there were a couple... Really? Yeah, well... For, for one, well, there's a few things. One, the art was stylized in such a way as to be kind of cartoony. Mm-hmm. Marvel, right around that time, was launching Star Comics, which was Kitty Comics. Right. And and as a you know teenage boy, I don't want anything to do with Kitty Comics. And all of a sudden, this kind of resembles. This. And and then you've got at the same time, right around the same time, they start experimenting with a flexographic printing process, which makes everything really really bright and again cartoony. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. You it know, is I, a good point. And, and I can definitely see it. I, I, I will say this. We're, we're at a maybe, stage right now in our coverage where we're actually just about to get into this. Um, right into that time period. Yeah. Because yeah. our, our next two issues, actually what, what we're doing is we're, because of this special event month, we're actually going to roll more issues into the next proper episode of uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday next month. Mm-hmm. So we'll be covering issues 93 through 96. Now, 90... Oh, wow. Uh, let me think. 93 or 94, one of the two of them features the first Cynthia Martin work and then eventually goes into... 94. Yeah. And then 95 and 96 go into, uh, you know, her as the official artist and it goes yeah. into her, uh, Luke's battle with uh, Lumaya and all that. Yeah, I can and, and, I can easily see for every reason that you just stated I can easily see why someone would have been turned off on it at the time and also I'll add another reason was that the art is very girly you know yeah, it, it yeah. is very distinct and it's very obvious that okay this is suddenly taking a very female shift because the artist the colors were too right actually. you know the artist was a was a woman and very clearly so you know very clearly illustrated by a woman the the writer was a woman there was a whole lot more beefcake all of a sudden where where Luke was getting a lot more attention Shirtless. and really being presented yeah for for the female audience so i can see all those reasons why you know, someone would have been put off by it. I have long struggled to understand exactly what did I see in this that really sucked me in. And I was really curious, you know, 20 some years later, would I look at this and still feel the same way? And I've recently, even though we're only up to up, up to issue 93 in our coverage, I've actually read through to the end of the series just because this is my, you know, one of my personal favorite eras. My personal favorite single story is issue 95 and 96 where Luke and Lamaya fight because it's just awesome. You know, or at least I remembered it to be awesome as a kid. So I read it again thinking, is this going to hold up? And I was very pleasantly surprised that it really does for me. And I Mm. think part of it is, is it's this, she has, basically the same aesthetic as people like um um oh my god i can't believe i'm gonna blank on his name sinkevich no the guy that uh he he's passed away now he died very young he was working on like batman adventures um oh geez yeah jeez what is this i just have completely blanked on his name but her her art style to me is, is very 
um, it, it's a precursor to that sort of art style. Uh, Parabek, Mike Parabek, that was his name. Mm-hmm. Just a hell of an artist. And, uh, and that kind of art style, even when Parabek was drawing that way, wasn't really popular at the time. It really wasn't until his death that people really started to appreciate that very cartoony, you know, Batman the animated series style of artwork. I look at her stuff and I see that as that same, she was basically doing that same sort of thing a good, you know, 10, 15 years before, you know, even like Parabek and these guys were coming along and doing the same sort of thing. So, yes, it is very cartoony, but it really appealed to me because it reminded me a lot of the uh, uh, Nelvana animated sequence from the holiday special, which I've always thought was awesome. I really wish that they had done a full-blown animated series of Star Wars with all the principal characters like they did with that short with Boba Fett. And Mm. so it it was, I I guess it was a combination of of those two factors. Now, I will say that, that my disdain for that era at the time did not extend to Lumaya. I did like the idea of her because again, you know, we talked, you asked me earlier, my favorite era and my favorite era was good one. you know, my favorite crew was good one. Williamson, but the, uh, I don't even how to, okay, here's, you want a gap to edit out. How, how in the world do you pronounce the guy's name? Dave, uh, Mazzuccelli? No, 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 no. The writer, the writer. Oh, uh, Michelini. Okay. I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, there's a there's a breaking point right there. Um, <laughs> my my second favorite era would be Dave Michelini and and Walt Simonson and you know Tom Palmer and and that, oh, yeah. that crew. You know, yeah. we started I guess with Pliff and moving forward. Yeah, I look at that as almost the golden, the golden age, age, just yeah. because it was like it not only was uniformly good, but it was uniform. There was just a look. Right. That was the best from, consistent uh, era where just about every... Consistent era, era, yeah. yeah. yeah it looked like issue. Star Wars. It, mm-hmm. it looked like Star Wars and it read like Star Wars. I, to me, Goodwin is still my favorite writer, but when you put him on there with Infantino, it certainly read like Star Wars. Didn't really look like Star Wars. Right. Uh, but, you know, the Wheel Saga is still amongst my favorite. Uh, the, the whole thing with the Tag family culminating in the battle on Monastery... That's some of my favorite stuff. Mm-hmm. I but, agree with uh, you. But, but yeah, I, I, I will say Lamaya was a good idea because, again, going back to that Michelini era, um, I liked the Shira character. I loved what they did with her. And then, you know, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, but bringing her back the way they did, I just thought was terrific. I did think that was a great idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. But then you've got, like, 94, we were talking about earlier, which is the, the war between the Ewoks and the Lasbies. And uh, then you've got the the Hiromi subplot in the background where he's, you know, constantly trying to kill everybody and can't. And just, you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember the movie The Villain? Mm, Kirk Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger? I don't think I've ever seen it. I got to be honest. No, but I want to see a movie with (laughs) Kirk Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger for sure. Kirk Douglas and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Kirk Douglas was the villain. And Arnold Schwarzenegger was, uh, I think his name was Handsome Stranger. And <laughs> it was basically a live-action coyote cartoon. Ooh. And, <laughs> and that's I'm writing this, this down. Movie. Oh, man. You guys missed that one, huh? 
I gotta check this out now, yeah. <laughs> that sounds almost too good to be true. <laughs> I think Anne Margaret was the, the damsel in it too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh my god, if you're if you're pulling our legs, man, <laughs> revenge is gonna be swift and, and merciless. <laughs> now but that's what it this sounds me. awesome. It just reminded me of a of a coyote cartoon, and I just didn't want that in Star Wars. You know, you also have to remember the time I was rebelling against the Ewoks cartoon. Kinda dug the droids, but the right. Ewoks cartoon was killing me. <laughs> well, I you see, I think what 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 killed it, like if if the writing would have been as uh, going along with the with the art in the Cynthia Martin, I don't, I just don't think she had a lot of good stories to to write yeah. or to to illustrate at that time. So, yeah. the, and I think they knew it was petering down. And what you were saying earlier with the Star Comics, maybe they were trying to make it a little more kitty and younger and hoping to transition right you know get some younger viewers into or readers into star star wars towards the end and then get them into the star comics yeah you know when star wars was done but, See, we, uh, we have a interview waiting in the wings i, I almost hate to throw this out there because i, I don't want to jinx things but it, it looks like it's pretty solid and it's really going to happen. But we're, we uh, we've been talking to Cynthia Martin behind the scenes and she's agreed oh, wow. to come on the show. And we're really looking forward to that. I'm really looking forward to that because she's she's just one of my heroes in in, you know, both in comics, but in especially in Star Wars. I really, really love her stuff. But uh, uh, along with that, I'm hoping that that might possibly lead into something with maybe even getting uh, Joe Duffy uh, on the show. I would really like to see if we could get, you know, a f the the official behind the scenes story because as it stands right now, everything I've read makes it sound like basically Marvel just kind of threw in the towel because their hands were being tied by Lucasfilm as far as what they could do and what they couldn't do. Now I I buy that. I mean, that's a perfectly plausible story. It sounds story. totally plausible, yeah. However, after just recently completing my read-through again and getting to the end of the series, I actually am detecting another level there. And I can't help but wonder if there's maybe, you know, yes, there's the Lucasfilm thing, but I'm also wondering if maybe there was another combination of factors with the editor on the book was just, you know, I, I'm not trying to make her the villain of the piece, but it has to be said, she was just doing a rotten job as far as just sabotaging what was going on in that title, because it really felt like this, you know, the era that we're getting into right now, it kind of felt like things were starting to ramp back up, that things were starting to happen. You know, they finally brought in a new threat and a new villain. You know, you had Lumaya, who was going to be the new Dark Lord and, and really a threat. I mean, she kicked Luke Skywalker's ass yes. in 95. And it really looked like things were going to get really exciting. You get the new bad guys, you know, the Nugai come in and, and they're very exciting, very interesting, dynamic, a whole different aspect. The art, you know, at least in my opinion, the art really stepped up. It really looked like they were going places. However... They were constantly being just thrown curveballs with it, it felt like every other issue was a fill in. It was it was something being pulled out of the drawer somewhere and going, you know, we've had this story sitting around gathering dust. Use this. 
So you constantly yeah. have the narrative getting interrupted by these damn filler stories, most of which were extremely lackluster stories. Mm -hmm. Even if they were nicely illustrated, even if they were a solid story, it just didn't fit with what was supposed to be the ongoing, continuing story in the narrative. And then I noticed, and I can't believe that I had forgotten this, there is actually an issue printed out of order. Out of sequence. Yeah, I was about yes. to say that. That's so funny, because they had and to make room for the 100th issue. Yes. It's the Marvel Comics Star Wars conspiracy theory. I see it taking <laughs> yeah, it, it, form it really right is. now out did. of the mist. Yeah, they, when had I, to, yeah. they had to bulldoze everything in for the 100th issue, and the 100th issue was going to be the big double-sized issue. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, they had to sh they shuffle the issues around right around there. They did. So you yeah, actually exactly have... Right first appearance of a major new character come completely out of sequence. So you get this guy, he, he just appears out of left field and you're like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then after 100, you get the proper introduction where Han brings him in. Yeah, this is this old buddy of mine. And we're like, uh, yeah, we met this guy two or three issues ago. What? <laughs> yeah, and it's just obvious that somebody somewhere was asleep at the wheel. I can't help but wonder if Joe Duffy or Cynthia Martin or maybe both of them or maybe somebody else in the process somewhere along the line said, you know, this combined with the crap that's going on with Lucas, just to hell with Star Wars. And they just ended it because it just doesn't have a natural, you know, there was no attempt to wrap everything up in a neat little bow and say, well, you know, it's been fun and here's the end. No, it just Ends. Like, let's get out yeah. of it. Yep, pull the ripcord. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that was Joe Duffy. Just she finally had enough. And I, I just, I want to, I want the real story on that. I've got to know, you know, what, what is the truth? Well, so, it may also, it may also have been a steep, steady sales decline as well. Because I mean, you've got uh -huh. around that era, the eighty-five, eighty-six. I mean, it just fell off. Everything fell off. The toys went away, and you know, everything just died. And I don't the sales know. I, I, the same way. Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, I everything I've always heard was that the book sold very, very well from beginning mm -hmm. to end. But as far as actual figures, yeah, that I I don't know. So that that could actually be another factor because at that time, I don't think we expected another movie for quite some time, if ever, at, at, at that time. Yeah. At that point, I was thinking probably never with with for another movie and. Yeah, and and they hadn't quite figured out like e like how to work in EU and all that stuff, you know, right. and and to do all that. So it, it, you know, there wasn't much to market, you know, at that point. You no, know? it's nothing because Marvel well, Star right. Wars at that time post Jedi, it was. I mean, that was it. That was about it. No yeah. new books, and after Marvel nope. Star Wars went away, I mean, there was basically a moratorium. Star Wars just basically didn't exist yeah. for the next what like. 10 no it was about se i think it was about seven years because i think the the zon books came out in what like 93 92 93 something you, like that do you, do you want me to do this 91 may of 91 91 okay that's right yeah 91 <laughs> that's right but, so, but well, I mean, actually, there were other, so about five years then right there were other attempts though i mean in 88 blackthorn did that uh little series oh that that's was, right that's right and and the the west end games put theirs out in 87 their role-playing game mm -hmm. and uh there was actually a version of the 
tie-in novels, an omnibus edition for the first time of the tie-in novels that came out then. So there were little attempts to kind of put it out there, and it just didn't seem like anybody cared. Right. The, I mean, the West End hung on for a while, but it was never really massive. It got, it got bigger once Zahn stuff came out, and it really sold huge. But until that point, there was a little fits and starts, and nothing really happened. The Blackthorn, of my Star Wars comic collection, the one thing that I'm missing is the Star Wars 3D number two. The funny thing about those is I hear that from a lot of people, that those are extremely hard to find. I don't think they're expensive. They're just hard to find. Yeah. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that stuff is part of the stuff that Dark Horse just announced that uh, that there's going to be yet another omnibus mm-hmm. that more or less ties into the uh, long time ago omnibuses that they just completed the Marvel, basically the Marvel Star Wars stuff that they just yep. completed. There's yep. going to be another one that's going to feature rare material. And I think that all three of those Blackthorn ones are going to be in there. Believe it or not, you have missed nothing because the only <laughs> one that's worth owning and worth reading is the first one. It's actually a really good one. book. And the art's fantastic in that. Two and three, they suck. Yeah, I, mean, I, have, I have one really and three. Bad. Yeah. I was in, I was in college and it was I had it on my pull list. I was a freshman in college. I had it on my pull list and they get they got me one and they got me three. And they never got me two. So that's the one thing in my collection i'm missing let me ask you this when you guys are doing your uh let me really take a stretch here when you guys are doing your marvel review are you going to do things like world of fire oh yes yeah absolutely we haven't yet only because we've been concentrating on the the 107 issues proper Mm -hmm. but eventually um you know i i would like to do um like world of fire basically what i also you know once we complete this we we don't have a we don't have a clear-cut plan for exactly where we're going once Star mm-hmm. War, you know, Marvel Star Wars proper ends. But I know that you know one of the things that that I personally want to make sure that we do cover is like there were a handful of Marvel UK stories, yeah, that were exclusive. That were you know some were reprinted, some weren't but that were exclusive to that imprint. And I want to make sure that we cover those. And, you know, those are touched upon in like world of fire and, uh, pizzazz reprinted a whole bunch of them and things like that. (laughs) I've read all of them except one. There's one issue, um, that was never reprinted in the United States. And that was issue. I think it was the empire strikes back weekly. Number one forty nine. I think it was an issue called death mask. I'm still hunting the damn thing. I've got a digital copy of it, but I just, uh, that's one I actually want to own. So I'm, I'm hmm. saving it as like the one star Wars comic I've never read. You know what I mean? I, I just yeah. want to own, it. but, uh, I was hoping no. to actually find it at celebration, but I, I didn't see any UK material there, which was very odd. No, I didn't either. They were yeah. light on comics period. There are only very few people who had comics and that, that kind of disappointed me. Yeah. Uh, much as I like the toys, I mean, uh, for me, it's about, again, as I mentioned earlier, story, 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 story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, I threw out the challenge during the panel, and I, I'm serious as a heart attack about this. I want to see people start playing, you know, cosplaying as the Marvel characters. Sure. And I, I would love to see the Hunter. I'd love to see Valance. Yes. I, and I'll yes. tell you. I'll tell you what's ripe material to me, and I'm just throwing it out here so anybody can jump on it. I don't own anything, but it's ripe material to do uh, some EU stuff with is uh, Tyler Lucian, 
This guy is a classic yeah. anti-hero. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a coward. He's on the run. He's a you know, he's basically a back shooter. And you know, he got into that tower somehow. You know, mm-hmm. on the on the lava planet, he got there somehow. Uh, let's let's follow him from Yavin to the tower. You know, if you had a really tame, long-haired rabbit, you could probably make a pliff. <laughs> well, one thing that that I wish that I had remembered to bring up in the panel, and and I, you know, there there was so many things I had in my head, and I really should have had more of a of a guide that I was working off as I was, because I just kind of just freeform, just you know, off the top of my head through the whole thing. I didn't really have notes, but one thing I really meant to bring up was the cinematic nature of a lot of the Marvel star Wars stuff, you know, I mean, I I'll be the, the last person to deny that, you know, there's some really goofy, wacky stuff in there. Sure. But at the end of the day, I mean, I enjoy this series. I really do. And, you know, Chris and I have both been guilty of, of poking a lot of fun at some of the ridiculous letters that wind up in the letters column and some of those old issues saying, Gee, you know, I hope this, uh, you know, this seven against the galaxy story becomes the next movie or something. We're just going, oh, my God. <laughs> but, you know, there are a good number of stories in the Marvel Star Wars run that I think actually would have been movie worthy with a little bit of work. And, and one that uh, really jumps out to me is one that you mentioned, the whole tag storyline. Oh, yeah. That that storyline where where tag was hiding that turbine machine inside Yavin. Yes. And Luke has to go in and destroy it. I think that's cinematic as hell. I love that storyline. Yeah, him versus the TIE fighter pilot. Yeah. Yeah, that's right, awesome. Right. Fantastic stuff. Well, it really and, is. And then his brother designs the, the freeze machine mm-hmm. that, that you know freezes essentially large chunks of space by grabbing stray particles out of the... I mean, yeah, that's... I love you know, that stuff. Yeah, it's fun stuff, and that to me, that's again, that's that's the classic stuff to me. If it's uh, my favorite EU stuff, is stuff Archie Goodwin did and stuff Brian Daly did. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's all just you know there there are some misfires, but uh, by and large, yeah, they were they were in a groove again, you know, with fifty five on, but they were in a groove starting around the wheel and moving up to Empire Strikes Back too. There's very little that's bad in there. They couldn't help the Java story. They did the best they could, but uh, yeah, wasn't their fault. <laughs> I know. think it catches a lot of crap, and of course, this is just my harebrained theory on this. But I think it catches a lot of crap because of Infantino's art. Now, personally, I yeah. like Infantino's art during this, but I'm perfectly willing to admit that's probably just because I grew up with it. So I yeah. don't, I don't see anything wrong with it because I, I'm looking at it nostalgically. When I when I grew up with it, I was always kind of like, eh, I don't really like his art. I don't like the way he draws his mouth. It makes everybody look like they're going to eat. <laughs> you know, now that now that I'm older, I I sort of like the stylized stuff. Right. You know, when somebody yeah. has their own. There's a lot of artists now today that you sort of can't differentiate. They're very good draftsmen, but you can't differentiate them from yeah. another. But no, it's funny, Carmine Infantino is Carmine Infantino. There yep. he is, right. you know. And and I I feel exactly the same way. When I was a kid, I go, Luke doesn't have all those muscles. What are they doing? You know, Princess Leia's chest is way too large, which I didn't have a problem with. <laughs> right, but, <you> know, <laughs> not per se, um, but yeah. But yeah, it just wasn't 
accurate, but uh, right. yeah. But now I look back and go, that's a great era, and I love the look of it because it reminds me of when I read those things for the first time. But mm-hmm. now, you know, I I went and read the Trial of the Flash uh, showcase a few months back, and you know, being in broadcasting, all of those TV announcers that are standing there holding these bizarre Rube Goldberg microphones that <laughs> Infantino designed for the right. <laughs> How exactly did he think that was going to work again? <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. So you were also saying that you're that uh, I I think it was you. I think it might have been in the the piece we were reading about it that you uh not only do you collect the Marvel Star Wars but you try to get it in as many different formats. Oh man. As possible. I'm sort of uh, the same way. I uh, I sort of understand uh, that. I I, so, I I'm a guy. I think probably what you saw was my comment that any time something would get posted with a new cover, I had. I'm trying to break myself of that habit, but uh, I had to get it no matter what. If they put out a different version of it, I had to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. A, I I f- went in the '90s when eBay first showed up. I went and completed my my original run of Marvel Star Wars, which I was only missing a very couple of episodes, very few issues, and you know, number one and number six and number three and uh and and, you know but i already had them because i had bought ready for this let's go the treasury edition number one Mm -hmm. treasury edition number two treasury edition number three number three yeah the the, the, number three had all six issues all six all six and one big one yeah uh one one had one through three two had four through six three all six of them and then uh the paperback which was a black and white page black and white yep yeah i Uh, got that (laughs) Then uh, they did uh, some regular comic size reprints of the adaptations in a, an issue or two, and then one issue. Mm-hmm. I th- well, no, two issues. They broke it into two. They issues. did what? Well, they did one in two issues, and then they did one later on in one issue. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, every time I saw something like that, pff, I would buy it. So I didn't. Yeah. I wasn't really motivated to get a couple of those issues I missed because hey, you know, I've got them, but I just don't have those specific issues. But I went also back. The paperback, the uh, Marvel Marvel Comics illustrated version of Star Wars, and it was. Yeah. Yeah, that you're talking. That's the black and white one you're talking about, right? No, this was another one. In, you know, like World of Fire that we were talking about before. Yeah. it was it's in that format, way. like World of Fire, where, so where the it, art it was looked chopped like, up. Yeah, yeah. I see. Now you've messed me up because the only paperback I've got two copies of the paperback where they literally reprinted it page for page in black right. and white, and I've got the Empire and Jedi where they chopped the art all up and did it in color. Right. But, you know uh, what? You know, you could be, you know, let me double check that because I think you're right. Actually, I think I think you're right that they did not do Star Wars, but they did Empire Jedi. I know they definitely they did, did Empire and Jedi. Okay, yeah. I know what it was. They did one that was called Star Wars, but it actually wasn't the adaptation. It was some no, of the British stuff. It, and then Star Wars the British was stories. World of Fire. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it was the day after the Death Star. And uh, yes, uh, the, you know, the weapon it was the weapons master in that, I think, maybe. Yep. And uh, there were four stories in that, and that was a, that was a, I, I enjoyed that. That's again one of my favorite. Again, there's a lot of Infantino in there, though. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have all the originals and the but the reprints too? With the well, this is this is how nutty I am. I went and finished my first copy, my first set of uh, of Marvel Star Wars, and I said, you know, this is great, but some of these things have been read. Uh-huh. So I said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get a reading set and a regular set. Mm-hmm. You know, like a nice set, and then a set to read. And so I got that assembled. So now I've got two runs of Marvel Star Wars. And then in my head, I started going, well, you know, we, we had just bought a scanner. And I'm like, I'm going to scan every single page and print them out and bind them. 
And then fortunately, Dark Horse announced, as I was planning to do that and trying to figure out how I was going to do it with the money we had, Dark Horse announced they did the they were going to do the long time ago reprints. So I bought them there. And then they did the omnibus, and I have every single omnibus, and I'm not going to drop the ball, so I bought them again. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I've got a British, oh, I forgot about that. i got a little British hardcover that reprints the whole thing, too. But they edited a few, they took some pages out. How Did, did you get any of the... Uh... The Star Wars weeklies? Have you been able to? I've got a few. I've got a few. I haven't really gone after them big time, but uh, I do have. I do have a little small collection, maybe four or five of them. Yeah, that's like me. I've got a few. Uh, like thanks to a too. friend of ours that lives in the UK, he sent me a bunch of them. But uh, uh, I've been trying, but damn, are they expensive over here? I mean, <laughs> every once in a while, I find a lucky. Uh, you, if you just keep them added on uh, uh, eBay, sometimes you'll find a. Uh, I've had a couple lucky auctions where it's only cost me like two or three bucks a piece, you know, for a right for a few of them at a time. See, I'm really hoping that this next reprint that comes along is because I'm trying to think, how are you going to fill an entire omnibus of just the UK stuff that's exclusive? Mm -hmm. And what I think they're going to do is Devil Worlds. Yeah, well, they're going to print the exclusive stuff, which isn't really very much. But then a lot of the covers of the UK stuff was exclusive to the UK. So they could fill. And there were pinups and alternate covers. Yeah, exactly. Just of the covers. So that's what I have always wanted. I would love to have like a big, fancy, glossy, full color reprinting of just the covers i would pay good money for that so i'm hoping that that is part of this omnibus that's coming is just the cover art because some of those covers are fantastic and the stories aren't original it's just that they padded them out differently in the uk as opposed to the united states but they're black and white too which Mm -hmm. gives them a whole different feel to them you know different than than the colored version Mm -hmm. yeah and well you know the um when they solicited the long time ago omnibus, they said they were going to reprint things they'd never reprinted before, and then they didn't. Then they didn't. I know because I was pissed about that. I, yeah, I, I, and I, I thought I think I went on a rant about that on one of our episodes when I got to the last omnibus. I'm like, wait a minute, what the hell? This is yeah. why I've been buying these things because I'm, you know, dude, you you are in good company because I'm the same <laughs> way. I think the only thing that you have bought that I haven't bought is I didn't buy the first set of long time ago trades only because you know i have them in every other format and Mm -hmm. i just didn't i thought they were kind of pricey to be honest with you i didn't really think that they were worth the price and i've always been kind of looking for them on the cheap and i never see them on the cheap but i have been buying the omnibuses because i like the reprinting process you know the coloring process on the reprints they really look sharp especially like what was the issue where Luke meets the last Jedi and he's like the bug looking guy. That was like 48. Oh, that was the Simonson one. Yeah, the Simonson. I I, I want to say it's like issue 48 or 49. Eight, one of the 48 yeah, sounds right. And it looks like shit in the original printing because something got muddied in the coloring process. But Dark Horse recolored it for the first long time ago trades. And then they just kept basically that print when they did the recent omnibuses. And Mm. that looks really good reprinted. I mean, it looks the way, I guess, it was originally intended to look. 
and it's very very sharp so i i was glad that alone made me really glad that i picked up that uh you know the omnibus series oh and and also by the way thanks to you guys i'm buying another set of the star wars issues i appreciate it um you guys spurred me on to go ahead and get them so i could have them on my ipad so i've been in the process of buying the e-versions of them now the digital ones <laughs> and it was all because i walked out of that panel going boy i'd like to have those on my ipad right now so now, now is Mar now marvel sell like you can go and get those from marvel dark horse dark horse is from dark horse yeah you can buy the oh, right right the omnibus are you know they're 14.99 each so yeah, 48 was not the right. My son is bringing me issues as we speak. <laughs> 48 was the third law. You're right. That was 68. Does that sound right? 68 for the buggy. The buggy no, uh, Last Jedi. 68 has something to do with Fen Shisei, but hang oh, on. Fen is, yeah, you're right. You're right. God. I've got the covers here right in front of me, and I'm just too lazy to, let's see, Star Wars. I think it must be 49 then, because yeah, I knew it was 48 or 40. Yeah, 49. That's it. Last Jedi. That was the one. Yeah. What was that character's name? He's just Jedediah, wasn't it? Jedediah. Jedediah. Something yeah. like that. That was a good like little Jebediah, story. Jedediah, but with Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> Which is better of a Jedi name than Don Juan Quixote. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That that you know when everybody was going crazy over Jackson, I, my problem was with Don Juan Quixote. Yeah. <laughs> Looking back, and that he now, actually looked like Don Quixote yeah, too. Exactly. As a, see, as a kid, I don't think I caught that at all. I, I, I was pretty much focused on or Sergio Aragones. See that but, one, I didn't know till later. Yeah, I didn't. I never realized who he was supposed to be, but he bugged me just because he was basically like, "All right, you're fighting a gringo in space and Han Solo." <laughs> what? I didn't get that at all because to me, he reminded me a lot of, um, oh, what's his name, El Papagayo from the old Jonah Hex comics is who he kind of reminded me of. So I was like, I was kind of confused by that, but. Uh, <laughs> See, I don't see people talk about Jackson and stuff, and yeah, he was goofy and like that. There's that like rubbery picture where he's kicking people and stuff, and he's got like pajama feet and stuff. He's but nobody got... ever talks about the porcupine guy, you know. <laughs> he was kind of cool, actually. Him, I liked. Yeah. Well, see, the funny thing is, is reading those again now. Now I do focus on characters like. Don Juan and the Star Killer Kid and his goofy robot and stuff as the goofy characters. And I kind of look at Jackson and go, you know, I wish they'd bring that guy back, you know, because he, yeah, now he was with, more original uh, than the Star Killer Kid, yeah, that's with, for that's sure, and his robot. He just doesn't seem ridiculous to me anymore, or as ridiculous, <laughs> I guess, you know? Well, we've sort of, we've sort of established now in these, in, in these later days of Star Wars that. Star Wars is now in the iconic phase where you can see it in all different sort of formats. Yeah. Right. From kitty formats to, you know, the Clone Wars sort of in between kitty and real life formats and, you know, a little more cartoony and stuff. And it looks like that Star Wars um, Detours is going to be really right. cartoony. Well, yeah. I mean, it, and, it has gone and grown so big now that there are certain characters that you can focus on and follow through, you know, a number of adventures and never touch any of the primary characters and still yeah. come away with a with a full Star Wars experience. I could see something like that happening, like 
you know, if they really got serious and they decided to bring back some of those earliest characters from the Marvel EU stuff, say like Jackson and um, I'm surprised there wasn't a Marvel Tales Jackson yeah, story, yeah, Marvel, even just a comedy one, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. throwaway thing. Yeah, a, a Jackson and Amazing story. You know, where are they today? Kind of story, you know, and you you, you do them as you know, tough talking, tough dealing mercenaries. How about Jackson and Amaza team up with Howard the Duck and um, Beverly <laughs> Switzer? Damn Howard the Duck. <laughs> but no, I, yeah, I mean. Well, I'm just thinking of the interspecies relationship aspect of, you know, hot, hot human woman with, yeah, with anthropomorphic animal. Looking. Oh, geez. Are <laughs> you yet. kidding me? They're not right. I don't <laughs> know if their kid, they could have viable kids. Come on. <laughs> they just have little blobs of fur and flesh. I don't know. Well, with, with Howard, terrible. would there have been an egg? Yeah, exactly. That That's, you Mark, know, that's really. Mark is their son. Oh, God. (laughs) Jonathan Winters. That's right. Oh, geez, that's right. I'm sorry. That was best left forgotten, wasn't it? Oh, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) It's too late now, you know. (laughs) Do you have some some favorite single issues of... uh... Of Marvel Star Wars? Oh man. Well, I mean, I love I love eighteen through twenty three, the wheel stuff. I love uh again the the Valance the Hunter twenty seven issue uh, twenty seven where Valance runs into uh, Luke and three PO and then sets up the next issue where he has this big confrontation with Darth Vader. Love that. Uh, if it was ever a single issue, I would love to have seen as a movie or like as an animated episode or something, it would be 20, uh, 29 where he invaded 29. Yeah. 28 was the job of the hut issue. You're right. Yeah. Uh, 29 where they go at it on the, on the lava planet. And again, yeah. Tyler Lucian, I think he's a guy they should do something with mm-hmm. because he's, you know, we're all about the anti-hero these days and that's exactly what he is. He's just a coward who's on the run. And I just think that would make for some good, exciting, dramatic stuff. Um, the, the, and I know you're not, I'm not giving you single issues much. 29 would be one. Uh, the uh, 35 through 37, the, the monastery stuff, love. Mm-hmm. Um, the trip, again, the stuff with Shira, Bri, and the, you know, the late 50s, early 60s stuff. That, that stuff is, again, some of the stuff that's really magical to me. And, I did, you know, of the later stuff, I did like Lumaya a lot. Mm-hmm. We uh, not long ago we did uh, issue eighty six, which is generally considered to be the greatest single issue of the series. Oh, the Randy Stradley issue. Yes, and yeah. it kills me that I found out afterwards that he was there. He was there <laughs> at celebration. I was like, "Damn it! How did I miss like all these people that were there?" And uh, oh, it just it just gutted me to hear that because I would have really have liked to not only have met him but see if he'd be interested in uh, in coming on the show because ever since we did that issue uh, I really wanted to try to get him on the show to uh, to talk about Star Wars because you know I've always been a big fan of that particular issue yeah but wow I mean that basically set the whole course of his life you know I mean now he's he's like the man at Dark Horse doing doing Star Wars it's awesome so yeah 
Absolutely. And that was a terrific issue. You're right. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Fantastic issue. Which one was that? Uh, the uh, It was the one we had McLeod on for. The the one yep. where Leia meets the uh, the Stormtrooper storm from Tatooine. Oh, yeah. 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 From Tatooine. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. Alderaan. Uh, Alderaan. Alderaan. I'm sorry. Yeah. Not Tatooine. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful stuff. And, and the fact that he actually knocked it all out in one issue is not bad. His uh, first. That's his first yeah. issue. Like, first professional gig. And just, yeah, right out of the park. Awesome yes, stuff. It's, it, you know, it would be interesting, actually, to see if they had gone back to him and tried to tap him for more. Because mm-hmm. that's right before the dawn of the Joe Duffy stuff. What if he were writing it and they put Cynthia Martin on it? Yeah, that's very true. His stuff he's doing today is, I mean, it's awesome. Uh, do, do you read uh, any of the Dark Horse, the current day stuff that they're putting out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I've got... Again, we, we don't have a comic shop here, so it's a little hard to do it, to, to get mm-hmm. everything, but I do um, somehow, whatever way I have to. And, uh, yeah, I I, uh, I buy – see, I'm just – again, as I mentioned several times, I know, story, story, story. I buy every book. I buy every hardcover. I buy every paperback. I buy every issue, every trade. You know, anything that tells a story, uh, I'm interested in. And so, yeah, I, I buy all of that stuff. I, I – have to say i don't read the books with the frequency that i want to but i i do read most of the comics because it's a little easier to bite those off yeah they're doing uh just some fantastic stuff i was really surprised crimson empire 3 was as good as it was it was really i thought it was really well done that one i haven't read yet but uh, because i i keep trying to track down the uh all the issues to uh to the first two series i still haven't read you know, the the first two Crimson uh, Empire, but I've heard nothing but good things about them. Yeah. I just I really like what they're doing with Vader. I mean, I feel like they've really shaded that character in. Wow. With the the, the prequels have given them lots of. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think it, that all started with that Marvel Tales um, story with Vader on Cloud City. That we keep going. Star on Wars Tales? Star Wars Tales. Yeah. Star Wars Tales. Marvel Tales. <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Darth meant. Vader teams up with Spider Man. I remember that. that was <laughs> one of my favorite issues. That, but uh you know, where where Darth Vader runs into C three PO's, you know, disassembled yeah. body like twice. Which could have been really cheesy. There's even in the last poor Yorick sort of moment with it, but yeah. It was really good, and it and it really it actually made something that didn't sort of make sense in Jedi make sense of why did they bring C three PO's you know pieces to the cell and give them to Chewbacca, mm-hmm. you know, it, there's just no reason for that. So that that was sort of a neat little little clue in there. And but yeah, that that I remember that being one of the first stories where I was just like. Oh, that's right. They can really work Darth Vader now. You know, now they can work a lot of the tragedy involved in him too. You know, and and stuff that plays on what he used to be. You right. Know, more now that we know what what he used to be like. So, yeah, that's why. I mean, it's so it's so much better to be a Star Wars writer artist today <laughs> than it was in 1979 1982 <laughs> you know i don't know because you don't you know on the one hand yeah you know where all the gaps are you know where all the holes are you know what you're working towards but at the same time they 
the the canvas is a little more blank then. Right. I mean, right. I mean, one of the things that, that does drive me nuts is when somebody, you know, every throwaway line has to now have a novel associated with it that, that tells the real story of what happened. And sometimes that frustrates me because in my head it was a different story. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And you don't you don't need to once they start trying to fill in every little detail of the universe, that takes yeah. out, takes away from the universe because a lot of the way, the, a lot of what makes it great is your imagination fills in a lot of the gaps. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the befores and afters and and the stuff you you know off. Yeah. Those the edges of your vision. Those little throwaway lines are are great universe building because they do point to something larger that they're not directly showing you and then. You know, if you spend 15, 20 years building that universe in your head based on those throwaway lines, and then all of a sudden they say, well, this is actually what happened, and it wasn't nearly as spectacular as you know, what you had in your head. Yeah, and it's often kind of dumb, actually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes, yeah. I was just going to say, A.C. Crispin's solo novels were like that for me because literally everything that was a throwaway line or a mention of him in the films was completely explained in every detail in those books. No question about it. <laughs> and, and that bothered me because I thought, you know, I I think he deserves a little bigger backdrop, a little bigger backstory, a little larger history than that. Are you talking about the Han Solo books? Yeah. Yeah. The ones A.C. Crispin did, Rebel right. Dawn and all that. I like those a lot. I was actually a big fan of those, but you're right. Yeah. She didn't, at the end of the day, there's nothing left. Have him, yeah. There's nothing left. He's all laid out before you. And it's like, it was, it was well done. And, yes. you know, she definitely had it well thought out. But at the same rate, I do remember having that kind of feeling of, yeah, that wasn't quite as fascinating a, a, a backstory as I kind of was hoping it was, you know, because he, he really is. He's he's pretty much completely shaded in by the time that story is uh, is told. That's a good point. That's yeah, it's, it's, a good point. it's the beginning of Last Crusade where, and again, I, I enjoy Last Crusade, but uh, Indiana Jones as a kid wakes up one day and by the end of the day he's going to be an archaeologist he's got a hat he's got a bullwhip he's got a scar and a fear of snakes <laughs> yeah. yeah it all happened snakes, in one exactly. afternoon yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see I think I think you and Scott might be like separated at birth because I think you made that exact same point during when we were doing the Indiana Jones show <laughs> and in college I actually got to know Jeffrey Bohm who wrote that, and he was a great guy and a, and a writer I like a lot, but that has always driven me crazy that, you know, th there, there are a lot of different stories and there was a lot of, there's a lot of life that goes into all these things and to just wipe them out in one afternoon is just, it just, it cheapens it to me. That's true. Well, I think that that was sort of like at the beginning of when movies started doing that a lot, you know, when they would do that with sequels. I think that was you know, Spielberg was an innovator of that. Unfortunately, <laughs> one of the one of the bad things that that he brought in the the self referentialism when it started getting you know a little mm. mention of something here and there is really cool, but sometimes it goes a little too far, like in Crystal Skull, where you have to see the arc again. You know, yeah, it's it's not enough that you're in the in the in the same you know warehouse but that you're gonna see the arc again that was probably the only part of that i really love that beginning sequence but that was the part that really bothered me because it was like yeah we know the arcs in there you know mm -hmm. we don't we don't need to to it's, it's it's that you know it's now people expect easter eggs yeah. all over the place so right 
Yeah, they didn't exactly close in on the C-3PO and R2-D2 in the Well of the Souls. They were there. Right. They were there, but you didn't have to be shown it right in the face. Yeah, right. 90, 90% of the time you're going to get it from like some magazine that had a close-up of it going, hey, I bet you didn't see this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. But, you know, I had, like I told you, I had gotten to know Jeffrey Bone back then, and uh, one of the things he told me about that was that they when they, they wrote several drafts of the script and there was always this opening action sequence and it was big and spectacular and Lucas kept going, but usually we learn something about his character. What can we learn about his character? And so I guess at the end of the day, they just decided to learn everything about his character. Well, I thought I thought you learned plenty about like his relationship with his dad. Right. So it wasn't really in that whole action sequence, but when it was all over, that's, you know, and you, sequence, you would expect... Yeah. Yeah, you would expect Indiana Jones's dad to be sort of like him. And then you get like this distant sort of guy who sort of gives him up to the the bad guys. And, you know, and the, the then the whole sort of hat thing where he's like I'm going to take this guy's hat but be the opposite of of him. Mm-hmm. I think that's enough, yeah, you know. That's that's a, a nice little vision into it. So yeah, figures it was George Lucas going, you know. <laughs> what can we learn about his character? Let's learn everything about his character. We uh, know that he doesn't like snakes, but why? Yeah. <laughs> I've been trying to track down the exact article or news release or whatever it was that came out of Celebration talking about, I guess Dark Horse made an announcement that there's going to be a, a new series they're going to do. Yes. That's going to be taking place in basically the exact same era as Marvel Star Wars. Do you know any details about that at all? Uh, I know that the guy who's writing it, his name escapes me right now, and I could probably open my Celebration app and find it, but it would take four hours. Um, <laughs> he actually did a panel on how he was going to be doing that. And how he was going to be shoehorning them into everything without disrespecting anything else. But yeah, it's essentially that same, the, the Goodwin Williamson newspaper strips era, the, the Star Wars era between the, the first film and, the, uh, and Empire Strikes Back. And it's supposed to be an ongoing involving the principles. That's really, really all I know. But yeah, it does, it does speak to me of being kind of uh, at least closely intertwined with the same stuff that, that Marvel did, yeah. That's awesome. See, that's what I've been trying to figure out is, uh, like I said, I've tried to find the exact article or, or some sort of, you know, minutes of the of the panel and I couldn't find anything. But what I had read kind of made it sound like uh, he may even play with some of this stuff, maybe pick up plot threads or, or characters or something like that. But well, I was going to say, could they end up with the who jibs and stuff? Is that going to be, oh, I mean, who jibs have canon? actually appeared, um, in dark horse material, you know, that beyond just the, the reprints. I mean, there was a, uh, I know of at least one, there was a story in one of the, I want to say it was clone wars tales, but it was one of those, digest size books mm. one of the tales i it was either star wars tales or clone wars tales something like that where someone wound up on a planet of just like nothing but who jibs like stranded there with no, nobody but who jibs i can't remember what the exact details of that story but it was like a humorous ending kind of thing like oh right. my god i'm stranded here with nobody but but who jibs kind of thing but it was it was a lot of fun just to see them again, and it was like wow, okay, they're they're using 
this as part of the canon. That's awesome. And and they've you know they've used Zeltrons and different characters. So sure, yeah, Zeltrons are. I mean, there's a there's a main character as a Zeltron in uh, in Legacy, right? Mm-hmm. So I I love that. I love that you know stuff has definitely been brought in. And you know, of course, now Dark Horse owns the uh, the Marvel stuff. So I don't know why they wouldn't mine it and use it. No, because there is good stuff. As, as you guys talked about it on the panel, and again, you know, you have my undying gratitude for what you did, but uh, you really demonstrated there's a lot of good material. Yes, there's goofiness, but there's a lot of good material in there, and I hope they do mine it. Uh, yeah, definitely. definitely. I, I, I would like to see him. You know, I have no idea where he's going to, you know, if he's going to jump around or if he's going to tell, you know, a, a succession of stories or whatever. I would be thrilled if he did it kind of like Star Wars Tales style where he just jumps around within the original trilogy era. I'm hoping that we get him here like a Shira Bry story here. You know, you could do Valance the Hunter stories and stuff. You know, I mean, I want to see all that, but I would love to see basically, you know, pick up from where 107 ends. Tell a little bit more of that story. Maybe (laughs) even try to get some of the original people back, you know? I would love to see this guy try to team up with somebody like, say, uh, you know, Cynthia Martin or Walt Simonson or whoever and really capture that flavor. I'd love to see Walt Simonson do some more Star Wars. I would be all for that. The guy's name that's writing is Brian Wood. That's right. And I don't really know him from anything. I know uh, the name. I couldn't tell you where I've read him before. But, yeah, I know the name. Well, what would you think of something like this? And I know this is not their plan, but what would you think of, like IDW went back to G.I. Joe and picked up right where they left off, numbering and everything, and got Larry Hama back and said, let's do this. What, what would you think if they said, Dark Horse said, all right, you know what, we're going to do Star Wars 108 and go forward from there? I would be thrilled. I really <laughs> yeah, I would. Yeah, that would be one of those too-good-to-be-true moments for me where I would, well, well I would hope. You know, I would hope that would be the yeah, that would be the only the only thing is that, you know, you know, you you run that risk of having phantom menace syndrome, you know, where it's Mm. been so many years and, you know, you never wanted the original ride to end kind of thing. It's been so many years. Would it live up to all that anticipation or would you look at it and go, yeah, you know, that wasn't really worth the wait? Because, I mean, I've been in that situation before. I mean. Mm-hmm. JLA Avengers took what, like 23 years to happen, or some crazy sure. thing like that. When it finally happened, it was pretty mega awesome, yet it was still like, eh, it wasn't 23 years worth of mega awesome. You know what well, I mean? So, but, but that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you had 23 years to write that story in your head. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. And then when it showed up and it wasn't what you had done, it suddenly it, it left you wanting. I, I mean, I've long subscribed to the theory that what you just described is why people don't like the the prequel trilogy, because we had almost, you know, two decades to basically sit and think, wow, what's it going to be like? And when yeah. we started to get it on the screen, so many people had, you know, a, a, a preconceived notion, myself included. And I consider myself mm-hmm. a very big fan of the prequels. But myself included, the one moment that I cannot forgive in the prequels is when Yoda whips out a lightsaber and starts fighting Count Dooku. I friggin' 
hate that shit. <laughs> and the only reason I hate it is because I have a preconceived notion that Yoda was not a fighter. He was a teacher. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's my problem, not George <laughs> Lucas's, yet it just bugs the shit out of me. And I know that that's the same thing that fanboys across the world are experiencing with the prequel. So there's something yeah. in there that goes counter to what they had 15 or whatever, 18 years, whatever. Everybody had a picture of Obi-Wan and, and Anakin fighting over a volcano, sure. you know, in their head, you right. know, from splinter the mind's eye on sort of. Right. And, or from the, uh, the Flynn fake treatment of episode three. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, that suddenly reminded me of a doy and the... Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm... You've got that. I've got that. That's uh, You have that too, Scott? You know what he's talking about? Oh, absolutely, no, yes. Okay. Somebody, somebody just posted yes. a scan of it, but that was one of those things that Scott and I saw <laughs> on the shelf at the store. Yes. And it was one of those things that Scott got to read it. I remember seeing the magazine. It was like Star Blast. Scott, Star Blaster, yeah, that was it, yeah. yeah. And, and and Scott would always be like, remember that story of a doy? But it was always one of those things you couldn't be absolutely sure because we never had a copy of right, it. So yeah. it was like we were young enough where we could have imagined it or blown it out of proportions. <laughs> no. But no, the guy scanned it, and it was every bit as ridiculous as – it was more ridiculous, actually, in yeah. – they they had a planet full of carbon frozen prisoners, mm -hmm. and uh, they went and set them all free. And then when Yoda died, his his giant purple twin, Adoy, hatched, and <laughs> <laughs> I have that. And, and even I remember reading that, being you know eleven or twelve, going, "This is not right." This yeah, is this not... is just. And but they were so authoritative. They're yeah. like, "We have experts who've just decisively figured out this is how it has to go." Well, they and they did that uh, throughout. I have two issues of that magazine. They did that throughout. Every article was that. Yeah. There was there was Raiders Two: The Return of Indiana Jones, and uh, there was they told how Spock was going to come back to life, and yeah. <laughs> there there was a there was a like Steven Spielberg's directing an Ewok movie. There was yeah they had ET Two I believe like, summarized in one of them. Yeah. And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the weekly world news of science yeah. fiction. See, I, I yeah. feel so bad not having the person's name, but right as Celebration hit, just as it was starting, I was trying my level best to still keep up with, with Facebooks and, and emails and stuff like that, only because I knew that if I just took the entire week off, when I got back, I'd be inundated with just you thousands of stuff, things I'd right. never be able to get caught up. So I tried to keep caught up, and one of the very first things I got right as Celebration was starting was that post, I, I think it was to our Two True Freaks group on, on Facebook. Yeah. See, I feel awful that I all I can say is, well, somebody, because I know somebody took the time to do this, and I wish I could give the proper credit. I actually meant to do this next uh, Star Wars Monthly Monday, so I will get the name and, and give proper kudos. But somebody basically said, you guys aren't crazy. You really do remember this the way it happened. Because we've told that story on the show before, and we were really afraid that somebody would call us out going, you guys are just making that shit up. No, yeah, we yeah. weren't making it up. <laughs> it was really true because we remember 
as nobody well, called we? us up. Nobody called us out. But here's what the thing: they were thinking it because right. when the guy put it up, there were people going, "That was that real." Was, and it's exactly. Like, yeah. But then again, there's all the other times we have lied to him too. So I guess we can't <laughs> really blame him. Up. Exactly. That's that's the yeah. problem. Is after a while you got that boy, you know, who cried wolf syndrome. But yeah. no, I mean, we were what we we had to be about fourteen. Because it was about a year before the movie came out. Yeah. You're about 14. And I can remember right in the middle of, it was like Rite Aid or something. And we just plunked our asses down right in the middle of the magazine aisle and sat there and read that thing. And just looking at each other, going, <laughs> okay, we might be 14 and only think we have the world figured out. But this is bullshit. There's no <laughs> way that There's this no is way we're really this the script yeah. to Return of the Jedi. We're not that stupid. If that's Return of the Jedi, it's going to be the biggest flop in the suck. world, too. Yeah, I, I, yeah. We, we were both convinced that, no, they're, they're pulling a fast one. And so we didn't buy it. And I've always regretted ever since not buying it because every time I've told that story, I always get that look like, you're making that up. I, no, it, I regret it, it, all the times that I didn't buy anything because I go, man, this shit is cheesy. <laughs> and now that's all the shit I want. Yep. You know, that's all the shit that's great. You know, and it's, yeah. it drives me nuts. They did, every, I'm, oh, I'm go sorry, go ahead. No, I was think. just going to say, every issue that I saw of that at Celebrate, they didn't have that particular issue. But every issue that I did see of Star Blaster was crazy expensive. It was like twenty bucks. They wow. were like twenty bucks an issue. Yeah, That's I have ridiculous. two issues of Star Blaster, and then there was another magazine. And I can't. I know where my my Star Blaster. Honestly, my Star Blasters are in my bedside table. So, <laughs> but uh, they also in '84 did an Indie Three magazine. Yeah. Right after Temple of Doom, they told us what all was going to happen. There was a giant snake god that Indy was going to go after. And that magazine I can't find, but I know I own it somewhere. Hmm. That uh, Going after a giant snake god actually kind of makes sense. Yeah, it would be kind of... Uh, yeah. ways, it's a little more than a doy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they'd had time to fine-tune their storytelling, I guess, at that point. The, I don't this know time, if it was... Indy's going after the craw of the Covenant... I don't know if it was uh, Star Blaster necessarily, but there was one of those rags like that that came out where all the stories in it were just fluffy crap, but it would have like these awesome fold-out posters. Do you you guys remember the one I'm talking about? Because I remember they they had this massive poster. uh, It was from Temple of Doom with, with Indy standing on the rope bridge. And he's like got the machete in one hand and the bullwhip in the other, and he's kind of grinning for the camera. I had that poster, was and it, that thing was just ginormous. Was it the official poster magazine? I mean, is that what it was? No, no. This, I mean, it was one of those cheap ass knockoff. Uh, like every article in it was just crap. But the yeah. posters they would always throw in there were awesome because the one that they put out for uh, for Star Trek Three was the same thing. It had it had a massive poster. It was weird. It was like a half-and-half half poster where like half of it, I want to say it was the Enterprise and the Bird of Prey facing off, but Ooh. then the lower half of it was Spock from Where No Man Has Gone Before. And I was like, huh? I mean, it was the <laughs> freakiest-looking poster because it was like two completely different qualities of film, two completely different eras, and the Spock image was just... It was jarring just because it was so free. Because, you know, I mean, that was like proto-Spock. 
mm-hmm. that episode. You know, he looked sure. completely different from how he would eventually look. You know, he had the gold sweater, and it was, was just really sp- bizarre. It was the Spock that yells, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Star, <laughs> star Angry Spock. Yeah, angry Spock. Well, look at the eyebrows. Angry you can sp- tell. Yeah, he, he yelled a lot, and, you know, and then, like, when Gary Mitchell came along, he was the, like, bloodthirsty <laughs> Spock, you know. <laughs> I advise we kill him immediately before he gets stronger. You, you know, the Star Blaster, really, when you think about it, was kind of super shadow before there was an internet. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's why, that's, I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, I'm not buying this. This is so stupid. Now, that's the greatest stuff in the world, you know? I mean, I... I bought it because I wanted to believe. I'm a few years younger than you guys. Yeah. Not not a lot, but a few, just just enough to be a little dumber. But even even at the age when I finally sat <laughs> I down and read it, that. it was like, nah. <laughs> you know what's what's funny? I, I I'm tempted to go onto like Wikipedia and see if a doy has been brought into canon in any kind of way. Because <laughs> you know what, Josh was right at that panel that there have been people that have been incredibly inventive and creative on figuring out ways yes. to fix even the most egregious continuity gaff. You know, and and really yeah. make it work. Something that everybody would probably agree that you could just plaster over and like make pretend yeah. that that character never was ever born. Because there's yeah. one of the annuals. I want to say it's annual two, where at the end of the story it was revealed that I, I think there's a statue. If I'm not no. mistaken, it's like no, a statue. Is that's it the one. first one? Yeah, because she says she and he says, "Well, the other the other Jedi, who was he?" And she says, "You wear his saber." And it was supposed to be Obi Wan, Darth Vader, and his father. And right. they keep talking about the three Jedi that came there, and we know they established their, you know, their Obi Wan and Darth Vader, and then who's the other one? And and they kind of imply that Darth Vader was just kind of his name, right? You know, his, the, from right. the family Vader, the Chicago Vaders is where he's from. <laughs> <laughs> well, you think he was the only Darth Vader in the phone book? Come on, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like John Smith. But. He's got more Vader's than a tattooing <laughs> phone book. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, that's the first annual where he goes and the, the all the, uh, the the folks with the wings and I. I'm blanking here. I think Claremont may have written that. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And I can't uh, who's the artist? Was it Cockerman that I can't remember who's the artist in that? But yeah, you're right. It was uh, Claremont that wrote that. Yeah, that's what he says. This third Jedi, who was he? And she says, "You wear his saber." And I think, no, he's wearing the other guy's saber. <laughs> now, which is another one of those things when you know you talk about how George Lucas had everything so wonderfully well mapped out. You'd think he would have put the kibosh on that one real fast, but mm-hmm. yeah, there were a number of things like that that kind of slid through. Well, it's like the whole thing with with you know Leia and. and and Luke being brother and sister right from the get-go. I'm I'm sorry, yeah. George. I don't want to call you a liar, but I've never bought that. Because if that were true, then there would be a whole lot of scenes that should have never, ever seen print got some in Marvel Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. A whole lot of kissy face going on. <laughs> yeah. It's... Let's see. If, 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 you're, if you're changing the movies to make sure one character doesn't shoot the other character first so the kids don't see that yeah <laughs> i doubt you would be putting incest in you know i i don't think you're that far ahead of game game of thrones you know 
or practically every TV show on like <laughs> HBO or anything like that these days. So yeah, maybe Star Wars started all that. <laughs> Good going, Lucas. <laughs> nice one, George. <laughs> I'm trying to look through my electronic stuff and find that annual number one now. You know I just had it. I just actually, I had all those. I had them all around, piled around where I am when I was scanning them for the, the panel. But I just put them away like two or three days. I got ago. it right here. I don't know why I didn't. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, Chris Claremont was the writer. Oh, it was Mike Vosberg and Steve Lyaloa that were the ah. artists on that. Oh. Yeah, this is one that we actually have not yet covered for the show, so we need to do that one eventually because we. We kind of just... I think we did the other two, right? No, we did the third one. Is the only one just we've done so three. far. Wow, just just should we look like a Sasquatch in this? Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> I always like those, yes. Ooh, and uh, Han has got himself a, a very interesting girlfriend. She looks like Misty Knight from... Uh, from... Oh, God, what the hell was Misty Knight in the... Brothers of the Kung Fu or whatever the hell that title was. Oh, oh, Shang, is it from Shang-Chi? Yeah, that was it, yeah. yeah. Oh, I thought it was one of the girls on Hee Haw. <laughs> <laughs> I was going in a totally t different direction. These wing guys actually look a lot like the Stenaxians now that I, I think about it. Maybe that's why I thought that the Stenaxians looked so familiar when, when they popped up and then maybe I was remembering the annual... But for some reason, I mean, more than anything, I think we just kind of forgot. But uh, we never did cover the, the annuals. But then when we got to a particular storyline where a character from Annual 3 was going to be referenced, we went ahead and covered Annual That's 3. That's right. So, That's why we did Annual 3. Yeah, but we still well, you know, the, we're, the we're, first two. We're getting down to the wire of issues, so it's for sure we'll yeah. have to do those annual. We'll be forced into doing the annuals soon enough. Wow, there are there are three pages of reprints of covers. There's a it says a special bonus cover gallery of pay, of covers from uh, Star Wars Weekly, the UK imprint. So it's showing here right. uh, eleven different covers. Yeah, I forgot all about that. Well, some of these are yeah, really too. awesome. Might as well get your money's worth on that yeah. art, you know. I mean, even oh, yeah. if. You know, because I don't remember the story in this at all. I don't remember it being very good, but I don't really remember the story. But even if you don't care about the story, this is worth it just for the uh, the beautiful art that they're reprinting from these covers. Because the there's a cover here. It doesn't give the issue number, but there's a cover here that's basically an alternate take of the battle between Vader and uh, Valance the Cyborg, where Vader's basically kicking Valance off the platform into the lava. That's awesome. <laughs> that is really intense. I can't tell who the, uh, who the artist is, but it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's pretty interesting that for the UK, you know, they do this whole different design for the comics there and and the UK is really isn't it like pretty much the size of like Connecticut or something <laughs> like or Massachusetts something like that it's not that far it's not that big of a country no so you guys complete us thank your lucky stars that we didn't go state by state and have like 
you know, the the Texas Star Wars. They <laughs> oh, the Texas Star Wars were an inch bigger in each direction, <laughs> you know, and were sixty four pages each one. Well, see, it's interesting that the UK ones did this because I don't know of any other imprints Countries? that did that. Because I mean, I have some issues of the. Uh, like Spanish. I think it's and the Mexican Spanish one, and, one of the South American yeah. ones, and all they did was they they changed the words. Yeah, they changed they, the words yeah. and they slightly altered some of the covers, but there, uh, to my knowledge, there's no original covers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where, where well, they created think... their own stuff. Well, they basically well, that's why... do four covers for each issue when you think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I can think of is just it was a tradition in Britain to have a different size format sized page you know the page was a different proportion right than what we were used to with comics so they had to sort of retool it to to print it in the way that people well no, i mean not, first... it's not it's not so much that is that they they would take your standard american issue yeah. and, and it's like scott said they would they would divide it up differently so you might have and they would pervert it because that every week Right, yeah, where they would split it up, and all of a sudden that one issue American was now three or four issues British. Plus, you know, th this is the thing that always struck me as really odd. So they would go ahead and they would split up the issue, you know, so that they they could spread that story out more. But then they would just throw more stories into the back of the magazine. <laughs> right. So you'd you'd wind up with like Star Wars was you know was the name of the title and was the primary story. But then in the back you'd get some just wacky shit. You'd get like you know like John Carter and Star Lord yeah. and eventually Indiana Jones. And it's like, okay, yeah. this is really cool. But what the hell does that have to do with Star Wars? I would think that that would confuse a kid. Maybe they were more used to the anthology type of format also yeah, because, true. like, remember yeah. the the first British comics I ever saw, probably you ever saw it's too because we probably got them at the same time with those 2000 ADs. Yeah. It's still going strong so far as yeah. I'm aware. And and those and were, that was a total anthology. Yeah. And they were magazine-sized and so on and yeah. so forth. Yep. I've, got an, I've got a Marvel Captain Britain magazine, and it's got – you know, Captain Britain is the main feature, and then it's got you know Absalom Doc Dalek Hunter in it. Ah. Ooh, is that number one? Uh, yeah, the magazine. Yeah, is the, it has like a cutout mask or something like that on it? Or Ooh, I don't is remember that. One? that. It may. Uh, I'm not gonna say no, but uh, I'm not gonna say yes either. Somehow or other, I lucked into one of those too. If it's if it's the same <laughs> issue I'm thinking, of. I have no idea where I got it from. I was thumbing through a long box not long ago, and I'm like, "Wow, I own Captain Britain number one. When the hell did that happen?" So, <laughs> <laughs> ours uh, the store. There was a store near us. It was a bookstore, and they're actually still around to this day, but just not not doing very well. Uh, and they finally, out of nowhere, just started ordering from Diamond. And so we went from getting just a regular, you know, comic spinner rack to actually having real stuff. And they started getting, you know, Marvel, the Doctor Who magazine. And mm -hmm. then with that, you know, started popping up a few of the other Marvel British magazines. And that was one of them. So, I, you know, I snatched it when I saw it. That's cool. Yeah. So I would love to get some of those UK ones and if you could find them with all the original stuff in them, you know, cause yeah, Chris, Chris has actually scanned a good number of his books and they would have like, you know, make your own X wing and things like that. That's yeah. Really cool. 
uh, everything about him, the ads in him, everything is, you know, slightly, just slightly different and slightly British. <laughs> and it's just, it's just fun. Yeah, it's just a whole different format and a different style. I, yeah, I love it. And, and yeah, I, I got, I got to scan some, I've got some more of those that have some really interesting fun stuff. I should whip those, those scans out again and put them up on the, I don't know if I ever posted them on the uh, Facebook page. I'm not sure. One of the one of the British books I've got is it's I guess it's called Star Wars Annual and it is literally a little hardcover uh, reprinting of the Marvel and I mentioned that earlier with some of the pages missing of the Star Wars adaptation. And uh, yeah, I I don't know why or where it came about. I really barely remember picking it up somewhere. What's the cover on that? It's uh, if my memory serves, it's. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, I don't even remember exactly where I got it, but I've actually got, it's, it's called Star Wars Annual Number One, and it's a little hardcover. The cover is a really rudimentary play on the traditional poster with Leia with the gun and her legs showing, and, ah, but, uh, and it's got a reprint. The reprint is interesting too because it is, some of the pages are missing, as I said, and some of them are in color and some of them are in black and white. Oh, good lord. And yeah, and then uh, and and they did Empire Strikes Back annual as well, and I've got that one too. And it's the cover of that one is literally the same as the cover of the Super Special, and it's essentially the Super Special inside, but it's been recolored. Ah, <laughs> and sometimes to not very good effect. And I'm looking to see which Yoda is in here. Hippie Yoda or uh Well skinny Yoda or Yeah. Yeah. I call him Hippie Yoda. Yeah, he, he looks, looks like he's smoking on joints he does. all the time. He, he, his, he looks like he's token up in that one. What is it? His Gimli stick or whatever? Yeah. I know what his Gimli stick Gimer. is. Whatever, Yoda. Geimer stick, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's the purple one. <laughs> oh yeah. And I at least accurately colored the purple Yoda purple, so <laughs> But yeah, it's a, so those are the those are kind of the the crown jewels of my the British part of my collection. But they're not really particularly nice, which is probably why they're not worth much. Much. <laughs> There's one See, of those. See, that's what makes them more fun for me. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. seeing the the variations of it. There's one of those Marvel Treasury Edition, you know, the the big sized ones. I want to say it's the third one, but I could be wrong. But one of those, the back cover is this great picture of Luke and Leia swinging. Swinging across the chasm. Yeah. And I can't remember who the artist is on it, but that was the very first Marvel Star Wars T-shirt I ever saw. I, I don't think I've ever seen it in person, but I've seen it like online where you could buy it. Yeah, that was I'm the not... first one I ever saw, and I was like, God, I've got to get that. And, uh, and I just don't see them anywhere, but I, I'm intent on... If I, if I don't start seeing them around my area pretty soon, I'm going to figure out a way to just make the damn things, you know, and, and make some of my <laughs> my favorite covers, you know, and put them on t-shirts cuz well, if we if if we ever get that Joanne Fabric run. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's right. I, I don't know if we told you, we ran into a guy who had he had a did he was his worst pants no, also just, just his shirt. Just his shirt. He had a whole shirt made of this fabric that's just all Marvel Star Wars. Yeah issues i saw somebody there with a skirt with that yeah 
I wondered about that. Is that a Joanne thing? It's Joanne a jo- Fabrics. It's a Joanne Fabrics. Yeah. I want a bolt we, of that stuff. We just got one here, actually. It just opened up, so. Yeah, I can't get my wife out of that place. So from now on, if she's going to go in there, she's going to be making me something Star Wars, Marvel Star Wars. The only thing with that, though. A whole though, pimp suit. That's what we were yeah, saying. Yeah, I, I want a whole suit. The only thing with that, though, is I, I could be wrong. See, I need to, I'm trying to hunt up the photograph of that now. I don't think there's anything past the Infantino era on that, though. But, I mean, I, I haven't exactly poured over the... You know the material, but I, I need to see right. if I can find a. But it's all. But it has all kinds of. Oh, it's got tons it, of it, stuff it, on it. I just can't remember if it has anything, post. You know the first movie because there's some great covers. You know later in the series, you know, the, like the, the, you know the Simonson stuff. I was yeah. just thinking the Simonson one of Luke, uh, shooting Shira Bry is one of the great gorgeous yeah oh yeah you know luke skywalker i'd love a t-shirt of that yeah and then there's the one of of vader looming over the falcon and stuff i mean just some really really great um you know some great covers so i really appreciated them using the word pariah since uh, as an 11 year old i had no clue what it was or how to say it so (laughs) So i said the same thing in the episode (laughs) that we covered that that's where i learned that word yeah Yeah. absolutely I did. I went to my mom and I said, look at this. This is exciting. It's Luke Skywalker. He's a Perrier. And my mom <laughs> had to sit me down and explain to me, you know. I think Luke Skywalker's sick and he's got priorea. <laughs> I hope he's going to be okay. He should eat some solids or something. It was the same thing with, uh, you know, in that, that very first post movie story with with Han and and you know the recruits on the desert planet you know they fight the giant monster and it, and it, you know they called it the behemoth yeah i didn't know that word i mean it was the behemoth as far as i yeah. was concerned. i was i always pronounced it beth moth i'm like <laughs> it doesn't look like a moth at all to me <laughs> i am not finding that picture but that's all right we're which, which, uh, oh the picture of the fabric yeah, I I heard they fought. I heard that originally they fought a giant Hank Williams Jr. and it was the Bocephus, <laughs> the giant Bocephus. Nice. There's a, that that would be a kiss Bocephus and Star Wars team up. <laughs> Why isn't Marvel hiring us? <laughs> Maybe because Unless, of that. We should have a comic line called "Licensing Hell." <laughs> This issue, the Muppets meet Freddy. <laughs> okay, I take it back that uh, I, I'm looking at, I found the picture. I'm looking at this guy here, and I definitely see the cover to, I don't know the issue number, but it was the last pre-Return of the Jedi. It was the one with crying 3PO in it. The last pre-Return <laughs> of the Jedi issue. It had Vader Epi. on the cover. Yeah, with Epi. Yeah, that's you know, Epi. Ellie, Epi, Ellie, something Ellie. like that. Yeah. yeah so yeah Ellie Vader yeah so that's definitely uh yeah I guess it was Ellie wasn't it? yeah so they were pulling from everywhere then but uh yeah it's great it's well one of my favorites is on there the uh the flashback story of young uh Obi-Wan Kenobi I've always really done that story what, what what is that called? Uh, silent drifting or something like silent that. Drifting. Yeah, drifting. Yeah. Silent running, and I know that's not right. Yeah, silent drifting. That's number uh, twenty four. Yeah. 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 
great where, they, issue. where Leia does this great flashback to the Clone Wars and uh, or shortly before the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Obi Wan's obviously always been gray. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Other than some cosmetic things, though, we were actually very it surprised. Was fairly oh, close. Yeah, that story actually it's holds up pretty well good. under under scrutiny with the uh, with the prequel trilogy. Good. We were surprised by that. That tickles That's, me to hear. That would be. But we're surprised by a lot of things. Though. <laughs> <laughs> That would be an interesting uh, costume to see someone cosplay as, as, as Kenobi as he looks in that issue. Cause it's, Middle-aged Kenobi. <laughs> his outfit in that was actually really sharp, the whole you know, man in black. They, actually, his outfit is very similar to the outfit that Luke wears in, uh, in the latter half of Return of the Jedi. Yeah. It's very similar. Well, anyway, I don't know about you guys. I could go on about this stuff all night long, but... Yeah, we're going to have another three-hour episode this month. This is going to be... This this month is like epic barnstormer episodes of... Oh, my God. We got so much... I don't know if we'll have it out by now or when we'll have it out, but we're going to have the long-awaited E.T. episode where... of. Where Scott and I, in 1982, snuck a tape deck into E.T., the extraterrestrial, and taped it. Full theater, full of little kids freaking out. Wow. So we'll be presenting that in its uncut glory. Yep. Oh, that's beautiful. It's a testament to the movie. It's just, it's, it's, I, I, I was, I was stripping it on to, you know, off a tape, off the original tapes that Scott had onto my computer, and got sucked right into it you know all the and you can hear scott and i talking back and forth and it's just it's priceless i haven't listened to the whole thing yet but i was listening to it and just cracking up because right at the beginning of the movie i hear you lean over to me and go i wish those kids would shut up it's, it's just hysterical yeah you know i think i tell you i think i tell you to shut up a couple times too i think i'd like so sort of like shh, shh, you know, it's funny because my, my son always asked me, how do you memorize all these movies? How do you know, you know, how do you know all these movies by heart? And, you know, I didn't ever sneak a, a tape player into the theater, but I used to set it up anytime something good was on HBO. On TV, yeah. Yep. You'd put the tape player up. And I'd explain that to him. You'd put them on cassette and you'd just listen to it over and over again. And eventually you knew the whole movie. Exactly. I don't know how many cassettes Scott probably has. It starts <laughs> out going, do 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 it's funny because E.T., to uh, to my – because I was thinking about this the other day. I think E.T. is the only one I ever successfully recorded actually at the movies. And that's why, for me, it's such a little piece of history because E.T. was, like, just out. And so, I mean, it's it's really – listening to that is really like being there because, the you know, it's, it's a full theater. It's a jazzed crowd. <laughs> And you really get that that experience. The only other thing I can ever remember taking to a movie theater and recording was uh, was the black hole, and the damn batteries ran out about three quarters of the way through the movie. So it just all of a sudden it just speeds up and stops when you listen to it. It just sounds ridiculous. But we used to take I used to take it to the drive-in, so I've got a good number of them from the drive-in. But most of them, the bulk of the ones I ever recorded, were always off of HBO. Yeah. 
Yeah, so, my Star yeah. Trek Two tape is my brother, who's like six years older than I am, just got sick of me making everybody be quiet while I taped my movies. <laughs> so he picked up a tennis ball and threw it at the TV. And so right in the middle of the big scene towards the end, and Spock's, you know, just going into the to chamber, fix the oh, warp no. drive, and all of a sudden you hear, Pong! And then Monk. I start screaming at him. There's this big fight right there on the tapes. <laughs> awesome. Now, let me ask you Which this. At the, at the time, you're like, this is ruined. And yeah. now it's like the yeah. greatest thing in the world. And to this day, do you, when you watch the movie, do you hear that? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> that happens to me now. There's there's certain things. I, I wish I could think of a specific. Oh, I know. When R2 is going down the canyon in the original Star Wars, just before the Jawas attack, every single time I watch Star Wars, I can hear my my friend that I went to the drive-in with, his name was Eddie Johnson. His little brother was in the back seat. And he goes, Mommy, I'm getting tired now. Every time I watch that, I hear that little kid say that because that was what was on the tape that I listened to a billion times. He's got times. five kids now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah. <laughs> It, it's See, hysterical. Star Wars, I keep hearing Roscoe Lee Brown trying to narrate it while I'm... And I couldn't understand <laughs> half of what he said when I was a kid, so... <sighs> and the only other place I ever knew of Roscoe Lee Brown was he showed up on Sanford and Son one time. And I went, that's the guy on the Star Wars record! Oh, he was uh, he was Box in Logan's Run. Oh, see, on the, on the series? Or on the movie? I don't know about the series, but in the okay. movie, yeah, yeah, definitely. He's the one that comes out. And he's, uh, you know, what does he say? Sea greens from the sea, and whatever the hell else he says. And <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, because when when we first started Star Wars Monthly Monday, Chris came up with the uh, the opener that we used for the show, mm-hmm. and I hadn't actually listened to the story of Star Wars record in probably twenty years. And it starts off, and it goes, a long time ago. And, again, and as soon as he started talking, I was like, holy shit, that's Box. How did I never put that together before? You know, I mean. A great adventure took yeah, place. I, lo- I love that. It was awesome. It's just funny that you never associate somebody with the name Roscoe. With- <laughs> right. <laughs> All I think of is Roscoe P. Coltrane. <laughs> Yeah, it took me a minute because when you said that, I'm like, what the hell is he? And then all of a sudden it clicked. I'm like, oh, my God, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> I never could. I mean, used to, I remember as a kid, used to, I, first off, I saved and saved and saved to get that album because it was much better than the book and record because it had real dialogue from the movie in it. Right. And, uh, and you know, when I got it, I couldn't understand half of what he said. <laughs> so... I always I was annoyed by those things because I was always like the story of yeah those I, I like, loved Shut them up I, I want to hear the movie stop talking <laughs> yeah that's the, why when we did our parodies of it we called the narrator the stupid mouthy stupid narrator. mouthy narrator that's right I forgot about that yeah once you finally got it you know once Star Wars finally shows up on TV and I had my tape of it I was really messed up because you know they edited it so much on the record right lines I thought went together didn't. And there was all sorts of stuff in between, and yeah, yeah. It was... see, movies are so different today. Kids today have no idea about <laughs> stuff like that. I used to love those things because sometimes you would even get alternate takes of scenes. Oh, yeah. Because I remember yeah. the Raiders oh. one, which was actually narrator less, 
has a different take in the well of the souls. Uh, one of the lines that Indy delivers, I actually like better on the record than the one that they use in the finished, uh, finished film. So a lot of the star Wars ones have different takes in it too. the guy, the, um, um, Jamie, um, Davdar. J- yeah. The, um, Benning, Benning, Jamie Benning, uh, in all of his movies, he always makes sure to, uh, show you all the alternate, you know, lines and takes from the, right. from either, a lot of them are either from the story of records or like the super eight movies mm. sometimes had a little different overdub or, you know, Foley dub of a, a line or something. So he always oh, wow. made sure to, to whip those out. Highly recommend those. If, Absolutely. if you've never seen those, I'll check them out. He gives the love to the to the Marvel Star Wars in that too, you know, when there would be like yep. extra scenes or deleted scenes or things like that. Yep, he would throw those in too. Yeah. Excellent. Definitely give that a shot. Well, Scott, it has been an absolute delight to have you, man. Anytime you want to come back and hang out with us, if you want to cover specific <laughs> issues or just shoot the shit about Star Wars, man, we'd be happy to have you because this has been oh, a lot yeah. of fun. I, I agree. I'm I'm with you. I am there. Uh, you know, anytime you guys want me there, just blow the uh, the little whistle, and I'll turn into a rocket and show up. All right. So, Excellent. That was my Definitely. space giants guy for you there. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, man? I think we got one. Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, Tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com. 
where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. Dumbass. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. And this is your Uncle Don saying good night. Good night, little kids. Good night. We're off? Good. Well, that ought to hold the little bastards.